This week's episode of Two Tools covers the National League and American League Division Series recaps, the underdog stories of the San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies, the continued dominance of the Houston Astros and their dynasty. And is Aaron Judge a fraud? Find out now. Hello, listeners. My name is Alex Jonathan, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd. He was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. What's going on, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 79. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is Sunday, October 16th, just hours after game four finishing of the Guardians Yankees series. That series will be going five games. That series will be ending tomorrow night, Monday, October 17th. And the winner, of course, in that series will go on to face the Houston Astros in the American League Championship Series. Alex, we've seen just wild baseball for the past couple of days. And that's basically what today's episode is going to be all about. We're going to be covering, of course, the division series matchups, how they went, basically talk about our predictions that we talked about. Well, let's see one week ago and see how, uh, how, how those resulted in the past week of baseball. We're going to go over, of course, the national league side and the American league side, talk about just the huge, huge upsets that we witnessed over the last week uh, and just how some teams just took it to the overall favorites in the entire league of baseball and the entire national league to be specific. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about our predictions possibly for what we're going to see tomorrow night. Since it's Sunday, I know you listeners might be listening to this on Monday night or possibly Tuesday morning. Um, but so you know the result of the Yankees and the Guardians. But we'll give our thoughts on game five, how we like that matchup. Um, but of course, we'll talk about the other teams in the American League, the Mariners and the Astros, basically how the Astros continuing their dominance. We'll talk, of course, about the surprise team, the Philadelphia Phillies, the sixth seed, taking it to, I would say, their big brother of the National League East, the Atlanta Braves, the 101 win Atlanta Braves. Dive a little bit more into that. But then, of course, talk about Alex the biggest upset that we've seen in a very long time, the 89-win San Diego Padres taking it to the record-setting historic season of the Los Angeles Dodgers 111-win season, and they did it in four games. They, need, they didn't even need five games. We'll take a deep dive into that, and for you listeners, we're actually going to have some call-ins today. We're going to get some of the fans' reactions. Alex, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the first time ever. We're going to have some uh, listeners who are supporters of the Dodgers give their reaction because, Travis, I feel like the last 24 hours of baseball social media has been all about reactions to, I mean, I guess the Braves to a lesser extent, but mainly the Dodgers, just in terms of like, you know, what do we make of the fact that these, you know, scrappier teams are kind of sticking it to like these juggernauts because mm -hmm. it's just, you know, a best three out of five and it really feels like anything can happen. So I really want to get some perspective on a fan of a team that really feels like, you know, we, you know, 
Maybe sometimes you might think, oh, we were the better team, but we lost the series. Maybe they'll think that they made some key mistakes. Excited to see kind of what some fans of a team in that situation might have to say. So we'll have yeah. a couple conversations coming um, later in the episode. Uh, and yeah, but first off, Travis, let's just give our general thoughts about what happened um, this last week between, we'll start with the Dodgers and the Padres. It really feels like it was the story of um, the division series, at least so far. Uh, you know, things started off well, I think well enough for the Dodgers. Um, but, you know, the last couple of games when they went down to San Diego, it really felt like uh, it didn't feel like the Padres were, you know, dominant, but it just they just kind of edged out into uh, good games against the Dodgers. And the Dodgers have all season owned the Padres. Uh, you know, it really feels like they came into that series without any um, hesitation. They really... I feel like they understanded, you know, the task at hand and they just didn't quite uh, come out on top. But what was your first kind of uh, feelings when it was all over or maybe even after that rally when it's like, oh, wait, the Padres might yeah. actually send the Dodgers home earlier this year? You know, when that when that eighth inning rain began to occur, um, I feel like it was just game over for the Dodgers. I, I think that was just almost L.A.'s tears coming down from the sky um, just from what they have witnessed from little brother what's what's been the little brother for the dodgers for the past you know ever since the existence of the franchise has been the san diego padres they're a team that just can never be better than the dodgers well their time of course is now this is their year that they are finally and officially better than the los angeles dodgers of course in tur tournament play not in regular season stance but um it, it was just a crazy series and, and what's What's craziest about everything is that the Dodgers took it to the Padres 15 out of 20 times this season. It wasn't anything close. It wasn't like a 10-10 split. Dodgers own the Padres, I think, every single series this season. And then it's just so fun to see that all gets thrown out the window when you go into October baseball. And when you have a team like the Padres that's coming off a very impressive series in New York on the road against the big dogs of the New York Mets, Scherzer, DeGrom, Alonzo, Lindor, so many big names on that team. And they are able to take two out of three in three games in New York at City Field. That I think right there is something that the Dodgers are looking at and saying for themselves, okay, we're getting a team that's coming off a very hot playoff win and a very hot playoff series. Um, we have to bring our A game, and it seemed like it in game one. Urias provided a great start. The offense for the Dodgers was on point in all games, and they, of course, went on to cruise for that victory. But then you saw the kind of the shift of the series go from there. You saw big guns on the Padres. You saw Grisham. You saw Machado. You saw the pitchers, Darvish, Snell, Musgrove. Their three-headed monster has been lights out, in my opinion, in October so far and that's what you need bullpen Suarez hater a lot of other guys that contributed as well but it just it, it's so fun to see some of these upsets go uh go noticed in the, in the playoffs and it's funny that this year the first season we have six seeds and we have this little wild card weekend it's just transitioning into this hectic chaos come division series time the number one seed and the number two seeds as we'll point out later they're not the favorites in this anymore and that's something that I think we'll learn as we go forth in uh, in, in future playoffs in, in, in going forward. But, I mean, number one seed and number two seed, you better bring your A game because you're playing a team that has been, of course, playing hot baseball for weeks previously from that. And you look at the Dodgers, they played six 
home games against the Colorado Rockies to finish their season. I think they went three and three because, of course, they just want to go out there, make sure no one gets hurt. But you play on your you, you play relaxed and you kind of don't really take it serious. I don't want to say take it seriously anymore, but you just don't have that same intensity as the Padres had to play in the last week. And it definitely showed in that first series. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a crazy shock and especially when you put together that 111 wins Alex that's what makes it the most hurtful for the Dodgers and for the Dodger fans a historic NL record that basically it don't mean a thing if you don't got the ring I always point out that saying back when the Warriors went to the finals I think it was 2016 beat the Bulls record for regular season but could not secure the job in the finals but that's the same thing here regular season record is really good and really cool but it's funny how now in the playoff structure I mean, just getting in is the main big part. Once you're in, anything can happen. That's kind of how I look at it. But I mean, crazy, crazy series we saw. Right. Yeah. And it's there's this whole other debate about like, is the current playoff structure kind of rewarding the better teams? Um, You know, yeah. For those Mm -hmm. listeners at home, do you think that this series means that the Padres are better than the Dodgers? I will tell you what I think. I think that that makes no sense. I think we all know that like the nature of a five game series kind of tells us who is going to advance, but not who is the better team um, on the whole, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very situational. Of course, it's about momentum. It's about which team is hot. But um, I had a couple kind of interesting things to uh, bring to the table here. I have one tweet very interesting about the nature of the playoffs, because Travis, there's been this whole conversation online about like, you know, how can we, de- how, like, like, I mean, we all know that like the nature of the baseball playoffs is yeah. the best team's not always going to win the series because mm-hmm. we see these juggernauts go down time and time again, year after year. Um, you know, I feel like just in our recent past, Travis, like the 2019 Nats, the 2021 Braves were both like picked by no one entering yep. the postseason. And and this year we now have two teams that were probably picked by no one yep. um, in the NLCS against each other. So um, th- there's an interesting stat here, Travis. I guess the NBA, um, most people who watch basketball know it's like one of the most stable in terms of like when you win a seven game series, you're probably the better team. I guess they say, um, according to some like advanced numbers here, 80% of the time in an NBA best of seven series, the better team advances 80% of the time. So that's like an interesting Mm -hmm. kind of ratio they have. And if you wanted the the better team to win 80% of the times in the NFL, it would need to be a best of 11. So it's just like someone's like did the math in terms of like how many times would the teams have to play for 80% success rate of the better team advancing. So NFL is best of 11 would be required. The NHL would require a best of 51 in order to ensure that the better team advances 80% of the time. I think you lost every viewer right then and there. Oh, yep. Of, yep. of course. <laughs> and then in the MLB, Travis, what we all care about mm-hmm. A best of 75 would be required wow. between two teams to determine the better team will have more wins uh, 80% of the time. So wow. it's it just kind of crazy to think it really takes 162 game season to really organize these teams into a bracket that makes sense and to have, you know, the top teams making the playoffs, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it really is about making it there. Because once you're there, anything can happen. We all know a five-game series, even a seven-game series, mm-hmm. very wacky things can happen all the time. 
Um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, teams that kind of are aggressive at the deadline, if things just work out for you in September, there's a good chance that you can enter October kind of at the perfect time for yourselves. And this just wasn't the perfect time for the Dodgers. Nothing really glaring of like what went wrong in my opinion. I know some fans are angry at Dave Roberts. I know some fans are, I saw some fan like really angry at like the construction of the team, like yeah. Andrew Friedman. Sorry, it's like, I won 111 games. It's like, yeah, what 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 do you want them to, to, to do? Like yeah. they built a team that had 111 wins, uh, a record-breaking team despite injuries to... If I told you no Walker Bueller, I think every Dodger... Like for pretty much almost the whole year, yeah. May missed almost the whole year. If I told you that going into the year, you'd be like, okay, like the staff will probably be pretty weak. Yeah. One of the best ERA pitching staffs Dodgers have had in a very, very long time. Uh, I really don't see how you could blame the construction of the team. For me, it really comes down to um, the nature of the MLB playoffs. And Travis, I'm going to give a quick shout out to our buddy, um, I doubt he's listening to this, but his name's Aiden, and he said that he doesn't watch baseball. And so I think because he doesn't watch baseball, he had this crazy... And that's some good non-bias right there, and someone that basically has a blank slate in mind. He, a blank slate when it comes to baseball, and that's why I think he was able to come up with this really interesting comparison. He said playoff baseball feels like March Madness, and I really think that's the best comp for playoff baseball I can think of, because... It's the same way. It's about like you have some like hot like Momentum. hot yeah. like nine seed team in March Madness just like upset like you know number two number one in their side of the bracket and they just make it to the final four. That happens like every year, you know. And every year the number one team in one of the parts of the bracket is gonna go down in March Madness. Um, it's it, for me it was like a really good comparison that you know because MLB does not feel like the NBA playoffs. It does no. not feel like the NFL playoffs at all. Um, but this that comp made sense to me, and I think that's a cool way of framing the momentum-based nature of the playoffs, as well as kind of like, hey, we got to go beat them right now, or else it's just going to be over for us. And and what's funny know, is is that you know we look at 2020 and that playoff structure, eight teams from each league, a 60-game season though, and that year the number one team in the NL and the number one team in the AL met in the World Series. I mean, it's funny after that and before that. We had we had nothing of that sorts when you look at the playoffs and the results of the National League representative and the American League representative. 2019, of course, we're always going to think the Nationals, just the biggest underdog coming all the way through. Last year, we have the Braves coming all the way through, having the least amount of wins out of any playoff team. And then, of course, this year, as right now so far, and we'll get into this a little bit later on, but the NL now will be represented by two teams that are below the 90-win threshold. So... That, of course, is another uh, that's just another story to talk about. Another, yeah. you know, another uh, another series we're going to take a deep dive in on, Alex. But, you know, it, it, it's really interesting how these brackets work. And, you know, it's funny as you go back to the 1920s and the 1930s and 40s. Back then, it was the best team in the American League and the best team in the National League would square up in the World Series. Right now, it'd be Dodgers-Astros World Series. No one would have a problem with it because it'd be the two best teams in baseball. And then, of course, you kind of started going, uh, expanding the playoffs a little bit even more. Then you went two best teams in the NL, two best teams in the AL. That'd be Dodgers-Braves, Astros-Yankees. That would be the two matchups, of course, in the American League and National League Championship Series. And again, no one would have a problem because the regular season was so much important. There was so much importance in the regular season. Now, this year, Alex, six teams from each league. I mean, I'm really starting to think the regular season's important, but it's almost putting together like 
50% of the final product. And, and, and that's what's really funny is that you got certain teams that are just going so hardcore and serious. And again, there should be nothing faulting you about that. The Dodgers should want to strive and win 100 games every single year. But it's really interesting that some of these teams, I don't know if they're just burning themselves out in the end, but it's just funny that, you know, you're letting some of these 87 win teams give a shot to go out there and win a national or national championship, a world series ring. Um, I love it. I love that any team can kind of have that shot, but it really is interesting that some of these big dogs with these historic records are out in the first round. Right. And it, it brings up a whole nother conversation about how teams approach building their roster and stuff, because some of the teams that have been aggressive at the deadline were rewarded, right? Juan Soto with the Padres trading for him, emptying the, you know, I think if you told them, like, if you guys trade for Soto, you're going to end up in the NLCS, they'd be like, oh, like, we count that as a win, right? Yeah. Like, even if they don't make it, make it to the World Series or don't win a ring. With no Tatis either. Obviously, their goal is to win it all. But, like, if you just told them, like, oh, do this trade, you at least make the NLCS, like, guaranteed. Like, they're taking that every day of the week. So, mm -hmm. the aggressiveness there, there was some aggressiveness on the hands of the Phillies. Uh, in my mind, particularly in the, uh, you know, before the season started, they went and got Schwarber, got Castellanos, said we need more bats. They made it their identity this year. They, they said if we ride Nola, Nola and Wheeler... That's enough of a pitching core for us. They liked, of course, Ranger Suarez as well and some of their other arms. But, you know, it really came down to uh, making an investment in that regard on those bats. Um, also traded for Syndergaard and Marsh at the deadline. Both had an impact in the clinching <laughs> game, of course. Yep. You know, Angel fans know uh, all too well that, you know. I mean, I'll just say that if you told an Angel fan that those guys would be winning a division series for their team uh, back in our pre yeah. back in our preseason, we'd be like, "Oh, Angels are going to be beast." But of course, they're doing it for another team. Yep. But Travis, a quick uh, last note on the Dodgers before we get into some callers. Um, this is a, a a tweet by at Blake Harris, um, T B L A, a reporter for the Dodgers. He says, in his opinion that this is the biggest failure in the history of baseball. I don't know if I go there because mm -hmm. you talk about a failure. Um, I'm not sure what the failure was. In my mind, that's more about, you know, some bad luck and uh, things not working out for you. But um, he says, you know, 111 wins. Obviously, we know that much. The best run differential since 1939. I didn't know that. That's very impressive. Wow. The biggest wins differential in a playoff matchup, uh, 22 so that's the biggest since 1906. Wow. So the difference between the Padres there, of course, and the Dodgers. Uh, a 1-0 series lead and then three straight losses, of course, uh, did not make it to the NLCS. So definitely, um, you know, kind of puts into context how dominant the Dodgers were uh, going into the series. We know that the head-to-head -head matchup was heavily favoring the Dodgers, but the Padres won the three that both teams wanted more important than anything else. Yep. Um, that's just the way it, it kind of fell this last week for those two teams. But um, I, I think you could definitely say if they would have won the World Series, Alex, you could definitely say this team is possibly one of the most dominant teams of all time. So I think right. um, what's funny is that if they did not win a playoff series, um, some people, of course, will speculate and say this is the most disappointing, the saddest, uh, you know, the saddest it, team of all time. It, it's interesting, Travis, because people talk about like, oh, if you choked when it mattered, was it a fluke? But what do you think the fluke was, the regular season or the postseason? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from in my mind, the fluke was obviously the postseason because— Five days in October. Are, yeah. are we going to trust the 162-game sample size or the five-game series in October? And yeah. obviously, everyone 
cares about what happened in October. But if we're talking about, you know, the Dodgers and their process and the way they tried to build this team, I think you can't point to any major flaws there. But Travis, let's transition now. I'm going to get a couple callers on the line here. Um, starting off with uh, my buddy Cody, I'm going to give him a call right now and we're going to see his thoughts on this whole situation. Cody, I'm just going to swing it to you first, I guess. We'll just start with first impressions. When the Padres took the lead in that game four, or maybe even going into game four, and you kind of said, you know, we're really down to the wire here. 111 win season is kind of coming down to these moments. You know, what was your thought? Like, do you think there's a kind of flaw in what the Dodgers had done that series, or do you think it really kind of came down to some bad luck? Um, How did you view the circumstance that, you know, your team was in? I'll be honest with you. I think they looked the same as when they played the Braves last year. They just didn't want to be there. I mean, you can go and look at their stats too. And I think the lowest amount of strikeouts they had in the series was nine in a game. And every other every other game, it was, you know, 10, 11, 12 strikeouts. You just can't have that and win. And somehow, the Padres were able to pull through a couple times with still having high strikeouts. But that's just, you can't have a, a, a winning, you can have a winning ball club, like record-wise, but you can't have a World Series team when three out of six of your guys are striking out every game, you know? So you I think, think that's when- what it came down to. I, th- I think they just there's a lot of guys that don't need to come back next year. Some of them I have their jersey, and <laughs> brutal. <laughs> yeah, I, Bellinger. If you want me to say his name, he he can't come back. Joey Gallo, great guy. If they can sign him for cheap, let him come. If not, doesn't need to come back. Um, their defensive upsides are. I mean, you you can replace them with anyone else who performs even a little bit at the plate, and they're good. But I I think. Dave Roberts did, I'd say, like an 8 out of 10 job managing. I thought the lineups were good. I thought Trace Thompson was definitely the start over Bellinger. Um, I I thought the pitching matchups were good. Gonzalez was a little weird. But, I mean, and the only thing I would have done is put Tyler Anderson as the number three starter instead of four, but that doesn't really make a huge difference. I think it just came down to their bats. Sure. What do you Cody, let me ask you this. What do you think of Trey Turner? What do you think about that defense? Uh, his defense wasn't great. He had a couple of pretty nasty errors. But, I mean, I he's got me for life. I, I would love to see him back at any point. And he'll, he'll be a free agent after this uh, offseason. I think I saw – or after this, uh, this postseason ends, of course, I think I saw some graphic posted by Fox or someone – and it showed like all the Dodgers that are going to be free agents: Heaney, Tyler Anderson, uh, Trey Turner, uh, Gallo, Justin Turner. Right. Um, you know, the Dodgers have been Dodger fans. I'll say have been blessed with a team that's willing to spend money as well as also Damn. find these diamonds in the rough. Um, yeah. Do you think they're able to retrain Trey Turner, or maybe even if you don't have an opinion on that, like, uh, do you want to see them kind of go? bigger go home mindset like let's you know give trey turner you know he's probably looking for let's say like a seven eight nine year deal do you go and give him that or do you think it's more about kind of finding um more pieces to fill more holes how do you want to see them kind of try to uh run it back next year i think what you guys said this last week not to brown nose you guys but you can't win a team you you can't you can't have a really good team with 
like three of the best players in the league. Right. Mike Trout and Shohei, they're the best players in the league, hands down. Sorry, Aaron Judge is number three. He's behind them. Um, <laughs> Respect. But but you, you just can't win that way. I don't think you can sign Trey Turner unless maybe he wants to stay in L.A., but I thought the rumor was that he wanted to go east. Um, I think they have, they have to have some homegrown talent there, maybe a rookie to bring up next year, or maybe put Gavin Lux there, Chris Taylor. But he, I don't think they have – I don't think they can go out and spend big money on Trey Turner. And I don't think they can spend big money on Cody Bellinger. And if they did, they're stupid. Yeah. I think I, that makes sense, at least in my mind, because uh, they're just going to be in a, in a, a little bit of a bind because it's almost like, okay, from a, a front office perspective, we won 111 games. Obviously we did something right, but uh, the lack of results outside of, of course, the 2020 season, which, you know, Dodger fans, of course, are going to say, you know, we won a World Series. Uh, Travis is going to always, Travis is always going to push back a bit. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it really comes down to we won 111. What do you want from us kind of thing? But at the same time, what the fans really want is that hardware after October is over. So I totally understand kind of both sides of that, you know, coin. And it really is, uh, I'm really interested to see how they approach this off season. Uh, you know, the winter meetings and all that stuff. Are they going to go there or go home? Cause it really feels like every off season they're in the mix for the Trevor Bauer. They're in the mix for the Mookie Betts. The, of course, you know, the trade turner at the deadline kind of deal. Um, I wonder if they try to, you know, add that level of talent or go for a bit more, um, yeah. you know, filling in the the depth. I feel like the Dodgers they didn't really have a problem with depth. Like you said, there just were some guys who were not performing at the plate um, when it mattered most, especially down in Petco. Um, but the Padres pitchers also showed up, so it's kind of two-sided there as well. But um, I guess any last thoughts on the Dodgers and kind of, um, you know, how you feel going in the next season maybe? Like I'm trying to think about uh, if, if – like next season, 2023, if it goes the same way that this regular season went, you'd be pumped. You'd be, you couldn't be happier. But um, do you think anything needs to change uh, to make October a little different? Like what are you hoping for in 2023, I guess? So they're going to have to sign multiple multiple people who are good but not the best. And then they're going to have to do what they always do best, which is fix the broken guys. Mm-hmm. And a they can't go out and sign these big boys and expect to beat Padres next year when they get Tatis back. It's not going to happen. But if they get a couple of other guys who might be able to fill in some of the gaps and hit a base hit once in a while, instead of just home run or strikeout, then, you know, maybe you can wear the starting pitching out a little sooner. Maybe you can wear the bullpen out a little sooner and win the long series instead of dominating all season long and then relying on home runs and shutouts to win. I mean, go look at the last couple of weeks of the season and the Dodgers were not hitting the ball. They might've been winning, but they were not hitting the ball. They were getting like six, seven hits a game. Yeah. And that's what it can, that's what it comes down to. They need, they need several contact guys because they've got a bunch of long ball guys and you can't rely on it. Sure. And even before we kind of brought you on, Travis was saying how there might have been some level of coasting into October. Like they had six games against the Rockies before the season ended. And that's kind of almost like, 
maybe a little bit of foot off the gas plus five days off before entering that series. So I could see, you know, maybe, maybe a bit more sense of urgency in 2023 to kind of finish really strong. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'll just say this. Um, I'm super interested, interested to see how they approach this off season and how they perform next year. But um, that's all we have right now. Um, thanks for joining us, Cody. It's been awesome to yeah, have man. our first call in guest and we appreciate your, your insight and your support. Yeah, well, you can call me every October. I'm sure I'll be here. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. Nine out of ten times we're here. Ho ho hoping for you that uh, maybe a bit better result for the Dodgers uh, in a year from now. <laughs> me too. All right. I'll see, see you guys. See you, that was awesome. Our first ever call-in. Cody, thanks for hopping on. Now we're going to give a call to our other friend, Sammy. He is a Dodger fan. He has some thoughts he wants to get off his chest. Going to give Sammy a call right now. All right, Sammy, thank you for joining us. Uh, Sammy Olden, our next caller in. Sammy, longtime Dodger fan. I know you have been, been teasing me probably for the past 10 years or so because my team sucks, the big one. What are your thoughts about little brother, though? Yeah, your thoughts on this past week. Yeah, the Padres did their job. They did their job. Um, you know, they they slayed the dragon, as they said. I've been saying all weekend. Uh, they did, they just they did the small things right. They hit with runners in scoring position. Their bullpen dominated when they had to. Their starters got some length. Um, whether that be, uh, you know, Joe Musgrove, he he did good yesterday. He pitched out uh, at six innings, I believe. Mm -hmm. be pretty good. Uh, just they they had the time we time we have bats. The key mm -hmm. hits, something that's kind of been eluding the Dodgers for the last like ten years, really. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you basically, it, it just hit, hitting hitting when they're uh, supposed to. Uh, it's it's been tough. It's been tough to see. Um, they're a great regular season team. Yeah, and you know the analytics, you know they're, they're really good at that. But it just it's tough. It doesn't really uh, translate in the playoffs and especially in, in a five game series, a three game series, it's, yeah. it, it doesn't necessarily work. The numbers are, are skewed for a longer season. That's why they win so many games. Do you, do you like, think the, do you think 111 wins um, hurt them? No, no, I don't. I mean, they're, they're built, they're built for the regular season. Uh -huh. They're built to win games. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think uh, in the postseason, you have to do things a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to manage your team a little bit differently. Your starters have to pitch a little bit more, yep. right? I mean, yesterday, you know, Ty Anderson could have went another inning, maybe two. Mm -hmm. You just don't know that. But, you know, it's kind of it, it's kind of tough. You have to pick your battles. And the bullpen has been shut down all year, yep. even in the postseason. So it, it's tough to to bone it, to, you know, have that one inning where they scored five runs. It, yep. It's kind of a combination of things. And it kind of just goes back to the hitting. Yep. They can't hit in the postseason. It's tough. Sammy, we saw in 2019 the Nationals were playing in a wild card game. Dodgers had a bye couple days. Nationals come in there, take it to them, win the series in five. We saw last year the Dodgers have to play a wild card game. They go to San Francisco Giants. Giants are on this little bit of a bye. They take it to the Giants in five games. And then, of course, now with the new playoff structure, you see two teams winning the wild card series, then going to play the two teams that were on a bye, and the teams that are on a bye fold. 
do you think that right now the teams that are having a bye week are it's almost a disadvantage for these teams as we've seen so far in the NL? And I'll add on to that the bye as well as maybe um, not in the Braves case, but in the Dodgers case, almost coasting into October. Do you see that as a I mean, they problem? Clinched on, on, they clinched on Labor Day. Yeah. Do you think it's just yeah. as a problem with like the um, the way the late September, early October kind of uh, occurred for the Dodgers, or is that just kind of uh, yeah, give me give me your thoughts? Yeah, I'll answer that one first. Yeah, I mean, Dodgers goes the whole year. I don't think they had one pressure game like in the last like two three months of the season. They're battling with the Padres for a bit beginning of the year. I think they had a big series up there and they swept them pretty easily. But besides that, that weekend they really didn't have any pressure-filled games. And you kind of saw that really in the bullpen. You know, Kimbrell was supposed to be the closer that was going to, you know, replace Jansen. He, he never really put it together. But it's kind of tough, too, when you're in that situation because you didn't have any, uh, you know, really pressure situations. He was coming in a lot with, uh, you know, the 10th inning with his runner out second base or they have, like, a 3 4 running lead. lead. It's not the same to pitch in those situations that it is in the closer type pool. And they just frankly didn't have that many opportunities, you know, a run run ball game or et cetera. Just, it just, it wasn't this, that kind of situation. There wasn't no pressure situation. They kind of coasted. That's kind of goes back to analytics, right? Mm -hmm. They're they in the best situation to win games and they win a lot of games. And then, you know, they don't have to worry about, oh, yeah. we're going to struggle or we might not make the postseason. They're going to win game in the postseason. Yeah. You know, it's a rare. Yeah. You know, last year, they barely made it. But, I mean, they had, a, what, 106 wins? Yeah. So did the Giants. So did the Giants. So that's kind of rare. Yeah. That, that's not going to happen, you know, every so often. Um, do you, yeah, do you, what, what, what are your – I mean, of course, right now, I know a lot of Dodger fans are mad. They're, they want Dave Roberts gone. They want, they want Andrew Friedman gone for some weird reason, I guess, because you go back to back 106 win seasons, you're pissed at your front office and your manager, but um, where do you see the Dodgers heading this off season? What do you think they need? What do you think they need to get rid of? Um, what do you think they need to add on um, to make next year successful? Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think Dave Rock's going anywhere. I think he's on a three-year contract. Extension. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw that so, he's going to be back next year. Yeah. He'll be back next year too. Um, I mean, he does, he does what the front office, you know, wants him to do. He, he manages, you know, for their, uh, for their, you know, notebook for the game. Mm -hmm. He puts the players where the management wants them to be, the positions they want them to be, and he kind of just toes that fine line. You know, I, I don't know, you know, how um, much leeway he has in those decisions. I'm sure he has some, but it kind of seems like uh, he doesn't really, uh, you know, we're, it's kind of an assumption. It seems that they just follow the script, and that's kind of what they do. I agree. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, and that's kind of they with they with whether it works or not they just they follow the script mm -hmm. and that's kind of the way it is and that's the way that's that's the way they've been doing it. that's why they've been winning games mm -hmm. but it's kind of tough right they had a you mentioned it earlier they had a five five day layoff mm -hmm. between the end of the season and the first first game of the uh, division series mm -hmm. so it, it it you've seen it with the other clubs too the Yankees um, the Braves mm -hmm. they struggle to hit the ball. They struggle to, 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 you know, get that streak. For Swagar teams, they're a little bit more, you know, in the game flow. Yep. And you didn't see that much of a rust. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, down the road, if they actually switched the division series to a seven-game series. It just makes more sense. Um, and also, Reese, he, 
they didn't receive this year either. So the Dodgers played Padres. Yeah. Or in other sports, they probably would have played the Phillies. Mm-hmm. They probably would have been the same result, honestly, but, you know, you, you just don't know. But, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting with that. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the changes, I, I don't know how much they, they can do. They might have to sign Turner again. Kind of hope they do. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good bat that they need to have. Starting pitching, they'll probably do what they usually do. Um, just, you know, get free agents, one-year contracts, and just make it work. Um, Viewer's going to come back. May's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're both healthy and ready to go. Kershaw might have to resign one more year because mm-hmm. he didn't win this year again. So if he wants to play, I'm sure he'll take the uh, hometown discount and stay. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't go to Texas. But, you know, it's kind of – it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe get a new uh, – a new batting co- batting uh, coach, new get new um, approaches at the plate. You know, during the postseason, they, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a you know boomer bust. You didn't really see a lot of clutch hitting. You saw people still trying to hit bombs and mm-hmm. not really hit the other way or get a sack fly and stuff like that. Jamie, love your score. But, yeah, I was going to ask you left, um, last area. My my questioning: are, are you out on Cody Bellinger? Is he is he someone you just don't want to see? In a Dodger uniform anymore? Uh, I mean, it's it's tough. Who knows if he was still hurt, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a shoulder injury they had last year or two years ago. You know, I'm sure that takes some time to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 tough. Hitting's tough, man. Mm-hmm. So you guys know it's not easy to do. Um, I think he's still due for a team option, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they're gonna pick it up. Why wouldn't they? To, it doesn't really hurt them to pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's At least have like, that asset, yeah. It's going to be, what, like 18 mil or something like that, I think, or something like that that they are going to um, have this year because they, they upped it up, I think, to 1.5 next year for arbitration and stuff like that. So I'm sure they're going to pick it up. It doesn't hurt them, really. Um, you know, the, they'll eat the money all day long. If he performs MVP caliber, they, they, they again, they got him for cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So... I mean, they really have nothing to lose. Um, so yeah, I think they'll keep them um, and see what they do. See if they go sign Turner again. But yeah. it's another three two hundred million dollar contract. They're gonna have to think if they really want to keep that. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. they have Vargas coming up. They might just say we're gonna stick with that guy. So you never know. Yeah, I'm super interested to see kind of how the Dodgers approach the off season, just because they do have these uh, decisions to think about in terms of, like we said, Bellinger, Turner, uh, free agents like Kershaw, like Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, um, you know, lots of decisions to make. And of course, tons of free agents on the market as well. Uh, maybe instead of going for Drake Turner, they go for a different shortstop. There's going to be a, a laundry list of guys um, that would probably love to come to LA. And I do kind of wonder how they, you know, approach it. But um, any last thoughts, Sammy, about, you know, the team about, you know, I mean, I I said this to another caller we had, it feels like if I told a Dodger fan, Hey, next year you won 111 games again, they'd be like, Oh, that means we're probably a really good team. We'll take that. But do you think something different needs to happen in order to get the hardware that I'm sure you would prefer over the, the, the the regular season record? Uh, Any last thoughts on kind of that or anything else you want to throw in? Uh, I think it just goes back to philosophical, you know, the analytics stuff, it, it, it's just it's a different ballgame in the playoffs. Um, and they just really need to focus on getting the right personnel and, and the coaching staff, maybe maybe different coaches to, to kind of, uh, you know, 
produce. You know, the, the Guardians, they're a good example of that. They don't have any boppers. They just play in really aggressive baseball, steal bases, football and play, and good things happen. Um, you know, but it's going to be tough to stay away from that formula that's been working for so long. Um, it's, it, I think they're going to try to stay similar, get the same pitching staff, get the pitchers that are just going to deal and kind of eat up innings and, you know, piece them out of the bullpen as they usually do and get one or two key at-bats hitters, you know, throughout the year to, to bolton up. Um, but they still have Mookie, they still have Freddie Freeman, still have Will Smith. You know, they still have the core pieces that are really not going to change as much. So you feel good when we have players like that. They're tied up for a while. Um, it just we'll see how, how it goes. It's kind of give me. I'm sure we're going to be here. Same story every year. It's going to be tough. So right. And, and, and next year, you know, you could have Shohei Otani starting Game One of the NLDS for you as well. And we'll just we'll just take some prospects. I I, I throw that out there. Alex is going to kill me for that, but I. No, Tra- 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 Travis Travis wants seven of your top ten prospects for Shohei. I'm not sure if Freeman pulls the trigger on that or not, but yeah, uh, give me give they, me your starting nine, and I'll, and I'll take that getting into the playoffs. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think uh, Freeman would do that. <laughs> to be honest, but yeah, they value I'll, the prospects. They do. I I like what you said about um, we'll probably be here next year because I I agree the Dodgers have proven they know how to at least make it to the playoffs. I mean, their streak is at whatever it is. It just seems like year after year, they know how to get regular season wins. They know how to dominate their division. Even last year with the anomaly of the Giants winning it over the Dodgers. Dodgers, of course, took care of business in the wild card game to get to that DS again um, and beat the Giants there. But yeah, I, I think that um, I'm really interested to see if that philosophy does change. Like how you said, uh, the Dodgers to me, it feels like they are married to the analytics. Um, and like you said, Dave Roberts, I think is kind of an agent of the front office to kind of implement that strategy into the games. And, you know, maybe there do need to be some adjustments. I'm a big analytics guy, but maybe in a five game series, uh, there needs to be a different level of approach, different type of aggressiveness in certain scenarios, um, trusting momentum, trusting guys who seem like they're confident versus maybe some guy, uh, maybe some gut feeling about some guy not having it. Maybe you have to ride that. So I like what you had to say, Sammy. I really appreciate you calling in. And uh, thanks for being uh, one of our first guests ever on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Give it a go, guys. Be really, appreciate it. Oh, really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. Please have a good night. Two very interesting conversations we right there we had, Alex. Um, one thing I want to bring up that we last spoke about with Sammy that he brought up was the fact about trusting the analytics. And, you know, I will say over the past couple of years, I have definitely gotten way more an- analytical than I used to be with looking at, you know, OPS, OPS plus some of these other advanced stat numbers. Um, but it's just really funny. I, I just feel like Alex playoff baseball To me, I still am very open to throwing out all those numbers when it comes to playoff baseball. And we've seen it, I think, for the past couple of years, sometimes trusting the analytics a little bit too much in the playoffs, big situations, comes back to bite teams. What's your take on all that when you have a different animal in playoff baseball? I think it's a very good question. It's a question that's going to be coming up a lot just because sometimes analytical teams are going to lose, right? I think the most analytics-based team in all of MLB is probably the Rays, and they uh, they got swept, flamed out in the mm-hmm. wild card round, of course. Um, but they're kind of very different because they are very analytic, but also don't spend. The 
prime example of analytics meets spending is the Dodgers. And they, of course, won 111 games. And some people are going to claim that that might not translate to playoff baseball. And I'll go ahead and say, I admit, I don't know the 100% right answer, right? There's no way mm -hmm. to really know um, how much of a best of five comes down to skill, comes down to momentum, comes down to projections. I mean, there's plenty of times in even other sports as well, Travis. I remember in the last in the last um, NBA Finals, Celtics versus Warriors, there was some analytics uh, models that were saying that Celtics had an 80% chance to win the series. And to me, that seemed wrong uh, because in the NBA, it feels like there's a component where star power matters. You know, the best player on the court in these games is going to be Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. That has to count for something, right? In baseball, we kind of avoid that because we know Mike Shohei Otani you can have the two best players in a series, in a regular season series, and and just look terrible because those guys can't carry a team for a one sixty two games, of course. But uh, in a playoff series, Travis, maybe there needs to be a little bit more credit given to uh, guys who can just carry the load, guys who can you know uh, play situational ball, guys who you feel like are more trustworthy. Maybe there's a confidence about them maybe a momentum. I think everyone kind of knows which pitchers are the types you want to trust in a big game, which guys might make you more nervous, which guys might be more nervous in those spots. So I think there's definitely something to say that there is an element beyond just pure analytics that matters, right? There is a component beyond just the spreadsheet that matters. But I do think at the same time, a lot of fans might discredit the spreadsheet a bit too much because I think the 2021 Braves are a great example of analytics at work. I think that their deadline was heavily informed by analytics. I think every casual fan, even myself included, because I'm not deep into the numbers. I don't know how to code and make my own mm -hmm. my my own uh, stats and stuff. But there are people who would say that Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario at that deadline were great pickups. There's underlying numbers. They were hitting the ball well, even though they were getting out a lot of the time. Uh, there's more things that go into uh, projecting who might be good, who might not be good. I think the Braves definitely got lucky that Soler and Rosario got that hot, you know? Like, yep. they got really, really hot. Mm -hmm. But um, there was something to be said about them acquiring those guys at the right time. Peterson as well, Duvall as well, um, and they all stepped up in October. Part of that is, you know, they trust those guys, and those guys just... You know, some people will say, oh, they had the dog in them, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, uh, stuff outside of the numbers. But I think the numbers also say that sometimes those kind of decisions, those deadline decisions, um, you know, they were batting their first two hit charts. I mean, if you told a Braves fan before 2021, you're going to be in the World Series and your number one and number two hitters is going to be. Soler was batting leadoff and Rosario was hitting second. Yeah. And they'd be like, wait, what? Like, where's Acuna? And like, no, he's not going to be there. It, it, it'd be so, it'd be so wacky. So I think some of that kind of stuff is informed by the numbers. I will say that their coach was famously not analytically based, right? Mm -hmm. Snicker was like uh, very old school in, in nature. But I think the, you know, just to answer your question, both are probably important. I think if you say analytics just need to be abandoned because, uh, playoff baseball is completely different. I would disagree. At the same time, maybe there is something a little bit more, right? Maybe um, even though we know Snell does worse the third time through, maybe there needs to be a little bit more of thought about um, the other dugout's confidence, yeah. your pitcher's confidence, your bullpen's confidence. Even if you trust your pen, even if you love the arms you have, mm -hmm. maybe 
Um, they're a little shook. Maybe the last time they were out, they got hit a bit and maybe they're a bit rattled this time. Uh, there are other factors at play. Um, and that's really what the manager's job is, is to accept the analytics and then make the decision. Mm -hmm. I think if they reject the analytics, that's really bad. Um, they have to be able to interpret it and then say, we're trusting this or we have to tweak it in a bit. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's, that's going to be, I guess, my stance after this Dodgers, uh, series like i said i think they're the better team than the padres it comes down to the fact that um in those situations it feels like bob melvin did a great job coaching it feels like you know all the guys stepped up you know soto was a guy that got at the deadline of course uh he had a big hit in the clinching game too i think he tied the game uh with his hit but yeah it's definitely um so many components that tie into a winner the spending is important in my mind the analytics are a key part in my mind um the coach is important um so many factors tie mm -hmm. in and it really comes down to who performs in a really small set of games so that was a long answer but um i liked your question a lot so i wanted <laughs> yeah. to make sure i gave it the the respect yeah and i think i can definitely get on that analytics have helped in the whole big picture of the regular season i think more teams that are trusting the analytics in the regular season are going to result in good result you know they're going to result in good outcomes um they're going to be more likely to make the postseason trusting those numbers and the teams that kind of push those things off to the side i of course always just have looked at postseason baseball as a different animal a different obstacle to tackle and uh you know we, we've seen so many different circumstances where analytics may have played a bigger part in the overall feel for the game i think the biggest one of course will always go back to 2020 game six world series uh snell being pulled against that dodgers lineup just how well he was doing in that game and kevin cash very smart manager said i don't like you third time through i'm pulling you puts the bullpen in dodgers attack dodgers win that world series but let's move on now to the next uh series that we witnessed then the, the again just like the san diego padres and the los angeles Do dodgers the next big underdog series was the Philadelphia Phillies taking it to the defending World Series champs, the Atlanta Braves, the two seed against the six seed, Alex. I'll say this, Dodgers won game one in a very good way. I honestly don't think the Braves won game two in the best way possible. They, they, they were getting shut down by Zach Wheeler, but it just feels like the Phillies played four really good games in the last two games in Philadelphia. I mean, holy cow, the incredible onslaught of their offense, the pitching, the clutch hits. I mean, everything was clicking for the Philadelphia Phillies in those last two ball games, as well as the first ball game. But it just it was so crazy seeing that energy in Philadelphia and the way the team was going about their business. I mean, talk about crushing the souls of Atlanta Braves fans and the Atlanta Braves team from what they were able to do not only was it the big vets it was harper it was also young guys marsh it was guys like reese hoskins it was guys like bryson stott so many contributors in that game and then of course aaron nola pitching really good noah Syndergaard, three innings very good baseball and then of course ranger suarez zach wheeler just so many great components in that team so funny to think about Early June, that team was just being written off, Alex. And right now, they are playing in the National League Championship Series. Give me your thoughts on that series. And you know what? Kudos to you. You picked them. Thank you. You talked last week a little about chalk talk. Chalk talk. And I didn't understand really what you meant by that. But basically saying, don't pick the number one, number two seeds in every series. There's going to be one upset. Of course, there was multiple upsets. Could be even more upsets. We'll find out tomorrow. But 
right now, the Phillies, you picked it last week. They come away victorious. And of course, they'll be playing the San Diego Padres in the National League Championship Series. But your thoughts on the Braves-Phillies series? Yeah, I think that it's really, really, even though I picked it, it's somewhat surprising that the Braves kind of failed to, I mean, I don't know if it's surprising or not, but like they did not clearly have the same kind of uh, feel about them that they had in 2021 where they just were kind of going into every series. I feel like they were hot. I feel like they were a team to be kind of scared of once they got that momentum um, from the early rounds going into that Dodgers series. Once they really kind of were going toe-to-toe with the Dodgers, it was like, oh, shoot, this team is for real. They could win this whole thing. Um, this series, it did not feel like they had that same energy about them. I knew that they could win the whole time. Like even in game four before the Phillies really poured it on, it was like, oh, you know, this Braves team can for sure. Uh, they have the talent is what I'm trying to say. They have the pitching talent. They have the hitting talent. But I want to go ahead and give some credit to the Phillies first. I think that, uh, I think I said it a couple episodes ago. Maybe, maybe it was when we made our picks. Um, at the beginning of the whole bracket, mm-hmm. I think I made a comparison between this Phillies team and the 2019 Nationals. I think it's an interesting comparison how Wheeler and Nola have the upside to be like a Scherzer-Strasburg 2019 Nationals kind of two-headed duo that's just really going to stick it to any team in their path. I have been a huge believer in Nola every step of the way. His defense screws him over. <laughs> Almost every time they heal, I was a run in my mind. It's like, oh, that was partially in the defense too. He just pitches so well in my mind. And then Wheeler is, of course, you know, Cy Young top three vote getter last year. Um, I'm not sure we'll, we'll end up this year, but definitely at one point in the year was like, oh, this guy is still really, really good. Much like last year was mm-hmm. not a fluke. So I think that that's a great start with the pitching. Um, Ranger Suarez is maybe like their Anibal Sanchez, if you want to like make that comp, a young guy and an old guy, I know. But um, And then like they use all these different rotation pieces in the bullpen, kind of like that national team had like Corbin coming in in relief sometimes like just kind of interesting comparisons yep. I, I keep thinking about but the comparison continues to the bats I think because I wouldn't say the Phillies if you look at their batting lineup just top to bottom like it's not I wouldn't say it's like one of the best in baseball I think it's really really good it's very solid it's their got, lineup yeah mm-hmm. I, I think like the bottom parts you know there's you know Stott is kind of unproven and Marsh um had a really really uh, questionable uh, numbers in October, or sorry, in uh, in summer. Like there was periods with the Angels there. We saw him, Travis. Yep. He had a month where he struck out like forty percent of the time. He had he had some some uh, big uh, swing and miss issues and some discipline issues. But Travis, he had the big homer, of course. He was game four. Yeah, <laughs> game four was the Brandon Marsh. He had a homer and a double. Um, was doing it all really, and of course, a great defensive glove for them in center field. So. I could not be happier for him mm-hmm. as someone, as an Angel fan who still wants to see him successful. But uh, I, I brought him up to make the point that I don't think the lineup is incredibly, incredibly stacked. You know, they had the bottom three of, of Marsh, Stott, and Segura. You know, I don't think that's stacks up with, you know, like the teams like the Astros, teams like maybe the Yankees, you know. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, when the team gets hot at the right time, those guys are contributing. The top guys are going to get you their numbers. Yep. Harper is a superstar MVP last year. Of course, this year, not going to win. It was hurt all of the way, but still like the OPS numbers show he's still an elite, elite bat. He proved it again in this series. Uh, and yeah, then, the national league home run um, King in, in Kyle Schwarber, 46 homers this year leading off for the Phillies and, and, and Castellanos, um, someone who had a down year in my mind, for sure. 
did not really produce what his contract was expecting, but had uh, some good hits in the series, had a diving catch in Atlanta <laughs> to like save a game that was really kind of unexpected from a guy like him who always probably gets knocked for his defense. People probably view him as a DH just as much as an outfielder, yet he has to play right field with Harper um, kind of hurt and stuff like that. But uh, it, it definitely feels like a team that is playing with momentum. They have a really great energy about them. Every single player was giving major props to the crowd, the fans in Philadelphia. I think uh, Ken Rosenthal, who was the on-field reporter in game four, said that his phone was giving him like alerts, like warning, danger. You are in a high noise environment. If you're in this environment for 10 or 15 minutes, it could result in hearing damage. Like he's like, I go to concerts. I never get this phone warning, but I'm getting warnings in this ballpark because these fans are going crazy. And I couldn't be happier to see a team like that who has had a bit of a drought of being playoff uh, successful finally seeing, you know, we're going to the championship series. I'm sure they like their chances against the Padres. Um, of course, it, that series can go either way. We'll talk about that more later. But I do think that the Phillies, you know, they are playing with a way about them. And I will say the Padres kind of are too. So I'm yeah. excited for that series a lot. But the Phillies are playing with a way about them that I think puts them, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of, I'm trying to think about how much of a bump it gives you because the Braves, I feel like almost were playing at a deficit like they were playing with like minus energy almost yeah. like there was like that into the park home run where people were making fun of acuna for not you know running over to center field even a step Just terrible laziness right there yeah and, and, and my dad pointed out like the ball was hit the left center so like maybe you give him a little bit but like if travis if i'm playing outfield in our softball league <laughs> and it can be hit if i'm playing left field and it's hit to right i'm still gonna at least move a bit that direction yep. just and who knows maybe everyone else just drops dead and i have to go get the ball it, but it, and that's a great point what if i mean you got to think of the craziest scenarios but what if michael harris hits his head unconscious and the ball's just there and no one else is around him i, I feel like baseball 101 when you're first taught when you're growing up is you have a place to be no matter where you are in defense. If you're the shortstop, that ball's hit to center. You have a place to be. If you're the right fielder, you're always supposed to, of course, trail the ball. If that ball is hit down the right field line, the center fielder is sprinting his butt off to almost replace the right field position. And then the left fielder is almost going to the center field spot. It's it's funny how in baseball, somebody, everybody on the field has somewhere to be when the ball is put in play. But right. Acuna, of course, just took that play off a little bit ball rolled back and it's funny how the ball finds you and, and he, he's been in that stadium a lot like there are, it's a division matchup that you know he's played in philadelphia a ton and like that wall out there is kind of prone it's a to, really funky wall it's kind of but it's kind of like you can see how like that would happen yeah like, the ball yeah. going in the left center you could see how it could bounce back to where the center fielder probably started so um you know i don't want to bag on acuna this is not all on him of course but um it just felt like there was a lack of energy um you know morton was not the guy who he has been throughout his career in, in uh, closeout games or in elimination games. And that's not, you know, also, like I said about Acuna, it's not all on Morton either, yeah. but there just was not the same vibe about the Braves. Um, and I do think that the Phillies just played very good baseball. They were, you know, mashing. It really felt like, you know, everybody was stepping up at the plate. Everyone was, you know, kind of worth being feared. The bullpen has kind of stepped up in a big way too. Uh, it was always a concern right last couple seasons Phillies bullpen blows games we all knew it they're pushing Wheeler to the brink making him pitch eight nine innings just because they don't trust the pen but this playoff run so far it has been much better 
Um, I, I, I'm excited, Travis. I think that the NLCS is slated to be a very exciting series. Two hot teams. If either one, or one of them will make the World Series, I think they'll be a really fun pick. Mm-hmm. Um, unless- you, you, you had both Davids de- de- defeat their Goliaths, and now, of course, they're going to face each other. So, which, that, Dave, which David's better, yeah. Exactly. And right now, the Phillies are saying, well, we're going to go to San Diego um, to start game one and two. So, of course, we're the underdog as, you know, looked at the seeding and, of course, the structure. So, maybe the Phillies have that edge to them as well, saying we're still the underdog in this series, which I don't know what Vegas has picked, but I'm pretty sure um, – Phillies might have to be the underdog. I, I, again, I'm not sure what it is. I'm just looking I'm, at, of course, who yeah. has home field advantage, and that is the Padres. I, I'm interested to see that as yeah. well. But last note on the Phillies, I guess, for me is, well, first off, the I compared them to the 2019 Nats, and that Nats team had like a shaky start, got hot, boom, like from like a certain point of the year and like in like May to the end of the season, that team had like a top two record in baseball. I feel like at a certain point, and we all know what that point is, Travis, mm-hmm. the Phillies flipped as a team. And of course I think the most sad, the, the saddest story of the playoffs, I think is that Joe Girardi is like the biggest yeah. loser of this whole situation. And, <laughs> and, and I feel, I, I mean, I just feel bad. Yeah. Um, he probably knew his team had this kind of potential didn't they, and, didn't and was they? just trying to get it out of them. And it really ended up being it taking another manager to get this juice and this uh, mojo from yeah. this team to kind of come out. Didn't what wasn't he on the set for one of the um, post game shows and they like had him like interview like one of the Phillies players and it's like yeah I don't know if that was you, got, you put the guy probably in the most awkward situation of all time. Yeah, and, and I, it it just it just kind of sucks for him and it, it, I feel bad that you know he has to see this like if you told him beginning of the season. You're, you know, the Phillies are making it to the NLCS. Yeah. He's like, oh, awesome. I can't wait. It's like, oh, you won't be there. But, no, no, you're, you're done in June, buddy. Yeah. But uh, it, that, that was really a turning point for them. And I, I would very, I'm very much pro firing a manager mm-hmm. if the front office feels like it's the right decision to mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make them the scapegoat. But if you think another guy, another voice is going to be better, then, then do it. Yeah. Um, you know, loyalty is important, but you want to win ball games. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the other the other funny example, Travis, was I think Carlos Correa was like interviewing Jeremy Pena after Pena hit like a huge home run. It's like, you know, this guy has your old job. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but yeah, it's just kind of funny how that's happened twice this playoffs. But give me your last thoughts on the on the Phillies and and kind of what they showed this week. Yeah, it's another. Um, again, it's another year of uh, a, a team that won the World Series will not repeat um, the, the Braves being out. And it's just funny that, you know, the, the, we looked at the Braves going into this series. They had the starting pitching. They had the bullpen. Max Freed did not pitch very well in game one. Um, Kyle Wright pitched excellent in game two. He was basically their only starting pitcher that I think could make it past like the fifth or sixth inning. Um, so Kyle Wright did a great job. Spencer Strider, I considered him to be possibly the ace of this rotation. I don't know if he had an injury bug that kind of made things a little bit difficult in game three. I know something happened. Um, Snicker mentioned if 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 uh, if they could get three or four innings out of uh, Spencer Strider, they'd be really happy. And it, uh, my, my initial thought was, why would you not want to ride this guy all the way? He's your best starting pitcher, in my opinion. He throws fastballs up up towards 100 miles an hour i think his fastball was like 92 93 there's a huge drop off in the uh, in the miles per hour on the fastball so of course that's that's some uh that's some interesting takes on that and then of course morton in game four morton has been excellent in elimination games but what's really funny last two postseason starts for morton he's had to take a line ba- a line drive comebacker off his body some way or another game one of uh, the world series last year he broke his shin 
uh, taking a line drive, still pitched 15 pitches after that, but had to come out of the ball game and then broke his leg later on. They, they mentioned that it was a, a fracture or a break in the leg. But this series, of course, I think it was Alec Bohm, uh, soft line drive, only about 74 miles an hour, but took it off the forearm, the pitching forearm. Um, and so, of course, that was cause for concern. And he actually did not come back after that inning. Snicker wanted to go to the bullpen, went to Colin McHugh. And then, of course, some more runs added on over there in the Phillies, uh, in the Phillies offensive onslaught. But, uh, you know, it's just an unfortunate situation how you kind of geared up this juggernaut pitching staff and bullpen. Things just didn't work out offense really couldn't wake up in a matter of three or four days so you find yourself of course going home and Phillies advancing it's another it's another big reason while these playoffs these these playoff pictures it's it's funny how the teams playing with the least amount of pressure just seem to go into these series loose relaxed and they seem to just play playoff baseball get on the team early and find themselves advancing in the postseason. That's why this next series, Alex, is going to be very, very exciting starting off on Tuesday. Phillies at San Diego Padres. We'll give a preview in a little bit, but we'll go to the AL side. Alex, we really can only talk about one team right now that has basically done the job of completing the American League Division Series, and that is the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros right now are the only team we really can't talk about with saying they are a underdog. They were the biggest surprise. Best team in the American League. Best team in the playoffs, um, in the playoffs on the AL side, of course. They they take care of a very hot Seattle Mariners team, no problem about it. I will say there was some scary moments. Game one, Seattle was playing great baseball, just to about the last strike of the ball game. I, I think they had. I think at one point, Travis, there was like a. I think when Alvarez was up to bat, there was like a ninety three percent chance of them winning the game, according yeah. to like uh, fan graphs. Like it was like. This game is almost in the bag as as any game could be, and yep. and, uh, and the Astros climbed out of the the jaws of defeat. And and as of course the away ball club and the team that of course is not favored to win the series, winning game one is monumental. It gives a lot less pressure for game two because you know you took one, you split that two game that two game series pretty much first two ball games at your opponent's home field, but. They, of course, cannot secure that one. Jordan Alvarez is a postseason living legend. Walk-off home run game one. Game two, I believe, had another home run. I don't don't know if it was off Luis Castillo, but had another home run. Um, Basically propelled the Houston Astros to the first two wins. And then game three, Alex, we all know. I don't know what it is, and I don't know why I'm watching 15. Two straight Saturdays, I have to watch 15 or more innings of zero zero baseball it's getting old i'm, I'm getting kind of tired of it We're and sick of it and and as a baseball fan you think that i might as a as a baseball fan of over 15 20 years you might think oh as as your new baseball fan they would hate it but for me it's maybe like enjoyable to watch but i can't stand it anyways i'll kind of get off my soapbox astros of course win in the 18th 18th inning one nothing jeremy pena the young rookie comes through wins the ball game and that's what it's all about alex you have these young contributors coming through and winning a ball game for you but kudos to the bullpen in that game for just being so shut down and dominant um seattle i will say kudos to them as well giving them a pretty decent good series even though they got swept they did fight a lot in most of those games. Um, it just it, it comes down to for 17 innings, you could not score one run and you would have won that ball game. So, um, you know, my take on this series is Astros are just stupid dominant. And this is their sixth 
Alex's sixth straight American League Championship Series. Um, right now, we only have one World Series wing ring that we can talk about for the Astros. But I mean, this some dynasty. People, some people will question it, of course. Some people but, will question it, but it, this dynasty is—it's definitely. It's something to talk about, but well, again, your, your thoughts on the series, I'll, I'll point to you. Yeah, I, I I like what you said. I think that it's it, there's two things for me. It's one, the Astros, like you said, have continued their dynasty, continued their dominance. Six straight ALCSs is something that's even hard to put into context of how impressive that is, and that's almost further exemplified by the fact that the Dodgers lost to the Padres um, because the Astros had a chance to do the same exact thing. They could have lost to their division rival who had kind of some hot momentum, a good energy about them, and the Astros didn't let it happen. And that almost is a testament to the run that they're on right now, and they're able to kind of run it back every year and have the same attitude and the same energy and the same production in the big games. Uh, it feels like they always are a team you do not want to be going up against, do not want to be betting against. They're always going to be a really tough out, and they have six straight years not lost in the division series. So um, that's super impressive. The other side of the coin for me, I think the Astros led. I think they, I think it was them leading. Yeah, I think that they only led in four innings of like the whole series, something wow. like that. They did not lead in game one until they walked off the game. So I don't think they led in any innings. And then game four, game two, they had an Alvarez home run in like the sixth or seventh to take the lead. And then, uh, of course, they only led for one inning in the last game three. So uh, because of that, Travis, it's almost very interesting how a few different balls have found a bounce a few different ways and the series could be pretty different. Um, but the Astros ability to produce and get results, I think is something that every other team's fan base is very jealous of. We just talked about the Dodgers for a really long time and how, you know, I don't want to make this all about, you know, Astros versus Dodgers, but I think the Dodgers fans just kind of say we would trade in some of the regular season record for some more October consistency. The Astros have found a way to master the October consistency. And I'm, and I'm sure some of that's luck, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, their identity. They bring the same core back uh, in most years. Um, the young guys kind of come up and contribute in Jeremy Pena. Tucker was not a part of this team when the dynasty begun. He's now a very core piece of it. Yep. Same for a lot of their pitching staff. Some of these pitchers, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, these guys were not, uh, you know, big contributors in 2017 and, and, and prior, but, uh, last couple of years, really key pieces. So their ability to kind of call guys up as well as maintain their current stars. It's all very, very impressive. Uh, so yeah, they're just they're just a monster team, Travis. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a tough out, uh, whether it be the Yankees or the Guardians. But I do think the Astros are in a very prime spot to kind of run things back. I know that they're just chasing the World Series ring so hard just to kind of tell everybody who who wants to put an asterisk on 2017. They want to say, hey, you can't put an asterisk on this one. And I think Travis, for me, the last six years have proven it. <laughs> you read my mind. 2017. It seems like they were banging trash cans in a World Series game, and that is very, very bad. That is pretty inexcusable. Um, it's a very, very bad look. It's bad for the sport. That being said, every single year since then, they have proven that our twenty seventeen was not our twenty seventeen team was not a fluke. Um, even though they have not won a ring since, uh, they continue to make the World Series, if not at least the ALCS, and 
I think that because of that, uh, for me, they've kind of proven how, you know, uh, they're just a proven team. I'll put it that way. They're a proven team. There's nothing I can take away from them um, from the, the last several seasons. So I think that they won a really hard fought series, a 3 0 against Seattle. Um, does not really kind of justify how tense it felt in some of those games. Almost every single game, I was like, Astros might lose this. Their Astros, yeah. Astros are yeah. going to lose this game. Yeah. They won every single one, but um, that's just the way it goes in baseball sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Astros, um, I think they're one of your picks going into it. Uh, I think you, if I'm, I'm, I'm not mistaken, I think before the postseason started, you said like Astros and Dodgers were like your two. I, I had Astros, Dodgers, of course. How's that looking for me on the NL side? But I had Astros, Dodgers. I think the Astros are going to make the World Series this but, year. But so it'd be really fun if I, mean, I predicted Phillies. If we got Phillies, Astros yeah. with both of our picks uh, squaring off, that would be pretty fun. And but, those two teams, the last series they played this year was against each other. It was. That's pretty right. Interesting. The end of the regular season in Minute Maid. But, um, but yeah, Travis, I think that... That was a great series to watch. Like you said, Game 3 was a bit of a test of the fans' stamina. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine the stress of being a fan at that game. Oh, I know. If, 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 if the Angels were playing the Astros and we're at that game, Game 3, break of elimination, 15 innings our team can't score a run, we'd be losing our minds. It'd yeah. be so frustrating, I'm sure of it. I, I think at one point I'd almost just say, you know what, Houston – Take the lead, win the game, have the series. I'm I'm done watching this. I, you know, the, the frustration levels would be so high on me and so impatient that I would just I, I'd be so upset that this team could not score in 17 innings, cannot score one run. Can can someone hit the ball 380 feet in the air? Can anybody do this? You have so many good sluggers on this team, especially the last couple of weeks with their magic that they've been putting together. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I I cannot imagine frustration being at a ball game like that. And uh, and continuing continuing to see guys get on in extra innings, and you just can't do anything about them. But there was one time I think where Julio Julio Rodriguez got on, and, and the announcers were saying, "If someone can gap the ball, they're going to win this game." Julio's speed is so good; he can definitely get from first to home. I think St- Julio may have stolen the bag too in like the 14th or 15th inning that got him to second base. But of course, I think it was Ty France that couldn't get the job done. But um, but and then frustration. Also, <laughs> I also add that like Julio was making diving catches in the gap in center field on defense to prevent the Astros from taking leads true, true. deep in late in the late innings. So some people probably love watching the pitching and defensive clinics those teams are putting on. I do have a great appreciation for those sides of the game, but zero zero for that long was definitely draining <laughs> as a fan on his couch. I can't imagine being on the team yeah. and be, or being a fan at the stadium and being that emotionally invested in the result. But Travis, some someone even mentioned um, that the the real crime of that of that game was that they closed the uh, concession beer stands down at oh, in the seventh geez. inning, and you had to go ten innings without you know going to get a refill or you know. That would I, be again. the that would be the, that would be the end of us at the ballpark, huh, Travis. That 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 would not be a very good look. You'll be at the drinking fountain, uh, yeah, getting some getting some water in the 14th inning, wondering if you're going to walk off or or you know go home. And, and that's the thing you're hoping if you go that long, can you at least give us a walk off home run or a walk off hit to extend this series? But the way it ended, a solo shot from Jeremy Pena, you win the game one nothing. I think Seattle definitely was crushed, but of course a good season what they did so far. But um, let's transition, Alex, into the last series that, of course, is not over. Uh, tonight, the Yankees, Garrett Cole pitched tremendous. The Yankees won 4-2. Uh, 
Uh, I think they, of course, want to win a game by five or more runs because we know what we saw in game three. The Guardians are not going to let up in this series. The Guardians still have some late inning magic. So it's very important for these uh, for these Yankees pitching staffs and the bullpens to take every lead um, very seriously and to go into the game with you know as much caution. This team can still beat you in so many different ways. But Alex, game five is tomorrow night for us. For the listeners, it might have already happened, but it is at Yankee Stadium and it is going to be, is it Aaron Savali? Is it his first name Aaron? Uh, yeah, okay. but I, I didn't. I did not hear who the the starters would be. Okay, but. they actually announced them. So Aaron Savali is going to be going for the Guardians, and then Jamison Tyon is going to be going for the Yankees. Hmm. Um, interesting guys. I know Bob Costas, and I think I'm. We can all say. We're almost kind of done with listening to Bob Costas for the last couple of days. Hey, the meetings have been pretty fire, so it, they, they I, 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 can, I can deal with it just for that reason. And, and some of the things he's been talking about, they really are kind of funny stuff to talk about and, you know, good good points to bring up. But he mentioned he thought that uh, Nestor Cortez was going to go in there and give Boone possibly two or three innings, and it would be just a very utilized bullpen game. And that was my thought as well. It seems that Tyon might be in there. Could be in there probably for four innings, could be in there for three innings, or as long as he can go. Same thing with Savali. So it is going to be a bullpen-heavy game. I don't know if we're going to see Bieber. Um, I don't know if we're going to see um, – actually, I'll say that. I don't know if we're going to see Bieber because Bieber pitched on Friday and just how the scheduling of this series has been so, you know, just bang, 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 bang for the last four games of the series – um, there's going to be some starting pitchers that probably won't be able to go out there because they're probably looking at Bieber as being game one starter if they can win this game. I'll basically just ask the question, Alex, who do you got tomorrow? Game five, Guardians, Yankees, who will go on to play Houston Astros? Both teams will be the um, will not be home field advantage against the Houston Astros. Of course, Houston already has that. So one of these teams will be traveling to Houston for Wednesday's American League Championship Series. But who do you have right now for game five? Yes, it is pretty much impossible to predict the winner of just one baseball game. But we're going to, of course, try. I have to just kind of continue with my pick. I picked the Yankees to win the series. I think I did. Yep. Um, I'm just going to ride that out. I think that, you know, there's tons to like about the Guardians and what they've shown this series so far. The guys are hitting the ball well, at least for contact. And then some guys for power like Naylor, who just likes to... uh, crush the ball a million feet and then do rock the cradle around the base paths. <laughs> Pretty epic. I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain like some other guys online, but um, I, I was fine with it. And uh, yeah, I think that there's just tons to like about the guardians, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Steven Kwan has been a contact machine. Ramirez is doing Ramirez things still, um, despite you know getting picked off, uh, back picked uh, yep. at first. And then uh, Oscar Gonzalez, SpongeBob has been kind of their, um, kind of their hero in he, some he has ways. he really has um so a lot to like for sure of course bieber mckenzie uh a lot to like about the pitching but just in a single game five uh it, it, it can really go either way i do love a lot of the options out of the pen for the guardians the bet the pen has really showed up for yep. cleveland this whole series so that's a big plus for them the pen may be a bit more shaky um, if you're in New York, they just used Holmes today. They they could of course use him again. There was some quote about not wanting to use Holmes in back to back by Boone. I would think in, a, in an elimination game, uh, they might throw that out the window and just say all hands on deck. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Peralta, I think Wandy Peralta has thrown like three straight games. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep. Um, but he only threw seven or eight nine pitches today. Like it was a small amount in that ninth inning. So. 
I could even see him out there despite, you know, the very limited amount of rest and the consecutive games pitching. But, you know, I think that, like we said, it's going to be all hands on deck. I think that both teams are well equipped for that. I like both teams kind of pitching options, I'll say. Um, even though the Guardians, I might trust the pitching options a bit more. I still think that what the Yankees provide offensively um, is just superior, a mm-hmm. superior package to what Cleveland is going to offer offensively. Uh, I expect, you know, um, I don't know. We've had this conversation about like swinging for the fences, like boomer bust approaches. The Yankees might fall into that description and it might bite them tomorrow if they can't put up any runs against some good pitching by Cleveland. But I do expect, um, you know, someone to go deep for the Yankees. Someone's going to hit, uh, uh, have a big hit. I think they're more likely to, to beat that team. Mm-hmm. So if it's anyone, it's going to be Harrison Bader, right? I mean, talk about I, a, uh, a division series for his, his career. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like the the randomest guys step up and and uh, you know Judge Travis. We haven't really talked about him at all. He has done the opposite yeah. of step up. Yeah, um, he has one hit. I think uh, was it? Oh, he had a home run. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. And I think he was one for four on what Saturday, and then today I don't know what I didn't check the stat line. But I know um, he struck out to start the game off. Yeah. I believe, mm-hmm. but um, Travis, there's been this whole conversation about how he does against cleveland i think his career against cleveland i saw some just really it's, jarring stats. it was like a below 100 batting average crazy, yeah. over half his at-bats were strikeouts and this is i'm talking about playoffs against cleveland uh, it was like 17 20 they played 2017 they first played now that was his rookie year and yep, then 2020 yep. they played i know yep i yep. forget if they played in 19 or not but they did play in uh this year of course and it's been a yeah. really rocky Correct. start yep. to the series for him uh, of course, he's the kind of guy who at any moment can snap out of it, just go deep, win the game for the team. But I think that, you know, him not being Superman has kind of put them in the situation mm-hmm. of being game five, brink of elimination against a team that I think the Yankees are much better than this team. But, you know, in a short series, it's about who kind of produces and the Guardians have proven to be a bit more consistent in that regard. So yep. um, give me your thoughts on, on the series and on Judge and whatever else might might uh, yeah. come up. Um, I know when we were talking last week, one week ago, I mentioned this series. I had the Yankees. I still have the Yankees. But one thing I mentioned was I just I don't want to discount the Guardians because this series, in my opinion, was going to be the hardest to pick. I almost went ahead last week and said Guardians are going to win this series uh, just based on the fact that they can do pitching defense and possibly with the postseason you know the postseason play they might be able to hit the ball better than the Yankees put the ball in play more often than the Yankees the Yankees might just think home run or bust of course the Guardians are thinking more about singles maybe some more gap shots but um, I'm still having the Yankees finish out tomorrow as the winners of this series I think it'll be a great game though Um, it's going to be a close game and then of course a close game means don't fold in the last innings if you are the Yankees and let the Guardians win in your, you know, home ballpark, uh, much like what happened in game three. That was in Cleveland, though. But uh, I, I think the Yankees finished the job tomorrow. But it just is a very, I, I, I might want to say, unorganized Yankees team, in my opinion. And just because I, I feel like everybody in their mind as a Yankees fan, Yankees nation would say they should have swept this series. I mean, the guardians are a good team, but the Yankees, what they've put on the field in this product has just been so good. It has clicked so well this season. I think it's what nine, nine wins. Yeah. And so, so, um, you know, nine, nine wins is an incredible season. I think that, you know, letting this guardians team have a little bit too much fun. I think that's going to really, um, you know, 
anger and, of course, upset a lot of Yankee fans. Um, and I just think that, you know, Alex, I'll, and I'll kind of transition into our next kind of slight little topic because I mentioned we talk about it, and I know I had some disputes about it as well. For me, Aaron Boone, the first couple games, first two games, he was having Aaron Judge bat leadoff. Aaron Judge in the first two games went 0 for 8 with, I think, 8 strikeouts. He had one walk in game one. But 0 for 8, 8 strikeouts was just, I, I don't know if there was a, I don't know if there was a confusion in the assignment up there or just if batting out of his order or range is kind of just some confusion. He's batted leadoff before in this season. Um, that's not his primary spot, but he's batted leadoff before. But I just felt like batting him leadoff was just a very weird way to start the game as a uh, in the Yankees lineup and the people that had to follow after him. I thought that if they want to win this series and they want to win a ball game, you're going to have to bat Judge in the two or three hole, have maybe more of a productive leadoff guy. I don't know if Glaber Torres is that guy. I definitely thought that um, Cabrera could definitely be a good leadoff guy, be a lefty, and then Judge being a righty, and then Rizzo being a lefty for the three, and then Stanton being a righty for the four, something like that in that order. Or, of course, if you wanted to maybe, I don't know, I know Rizzo's batting bat leadoff before in his lifetime because he has a decent on-base percentage, but I just felt like batting Judge leadoff was just a very very unusual thing. Um, I don't see Jordan Alvarez batting leadoff, and we know how much kind of power he has. Um, I guess the main thing I'm trying to say is I don't see a 62 home run guy ever batting leadoff on anyone's club. Um, and especially, I think, with the with the people they have and the players around them, he shouldn't be batting leadoff. And I think with, uh, with, with that point of, of what I'm making, you know, Boone in Game 3 decided to bat Judge second in this game in Game 3, Second at bat of the game, hit one probably about 430 feet, left the yard for a two-run homer, um, and I just thought to myself, you know, I, I think there's this, there's a psychology about positioning someone in the lineup where they're supposed to be. For me, I look at him as a leadoff guy to have a great on base. Now, Judge has a great on base, but I look at also a guy that has great speed, someone who's able to get around the bases very easy and get on for some of these big hitters. I see Judge, of course, having a good on base, but I don't see this guy legging out steals i don't see this guy going first to third on a single or going first to home that kind of thing i just don't know i just see a guy that has tremendous power generational power batting leadoff and i don't know i, I just don't see uh that being a good way for the lineup but your, your thoughts on next i know we had a a, a a very detailed discussion over text we did travis and i'm glad we're talking about this i think it's a very fun conversation to have and i know that we kind of disagree on it so i'm i'm excited to get into it i think that there's just been a huge shift in what historically has been viewed as like, who's your leadoff hitter? Who's your three hitter? Who's your cleanup hitter? These are kind of the big converse, like the big questions you might ask about like a team in like the 1960s of like, you know, oh yeah, we got Mantle hitting third, Maris hitting fourth or whatever it might be. And I think that um, there's been a big shift in the last decade, maybe two decades um, and especially last few years about kind of how we view this, because Travis, I'll tell you this much in a few decades ago, Mike Trout would be a three hitter, maybe even a four hitter sometimes, but definitely probably mm -hmm. a three hitter. Um, and we just, the numbers have shown that having your best hitters bat earlier just leads to more general run production. They're going to get more at bats across the season is one factor, but another factor is just that. When the, when the lineup turns over, Travis, you're obviously eight, nine hitter, seven, eight, nine is going to be some of your worst hitters. When you turn it over, let's say 
one of your seven, eight, nine guys hits a double and then the other two get out. So now you have man on second with a leadoff hitter coming up. I really like having someone that's a big threat hitting leadoff, someone who can do damage hitting leadoff. They don't have to be your biggest home run guy. I agree that having your biggest home run guy leadoff is not necessarily, shouldn't this shouldn't be the expectation in and of itself. That shouldn't be the goal. It's like, oh, most home runs leadoff. I agree that that's kind of weird. But I think someone that does damage should be hitting leadoff and importantly gets on base a ton. I don't care about speed as much. I honestly prefer speed like second, third, and fourth more than first because I want guys that can like leg out a double play, um, avoid the double play. That's why I love having Trout and Otani second and third because if our leader, if our leadoff hitter gets a walk, I don't have to worry about going and going into a double play because Trout and Otani are going to beat that out. So I actually am a fan of Judge leadoff. I don't know if I would bat him leadoff. I'm not saying I even would. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to defend it as. The philosophy, I don't think, is a problem. Um, one point of reference can be this season's, you know, numbers. You mentioned he hit leadoff this season. He did it in 34 games, um, and he had his best OPS of any spot in the order. He batted a 1.221 OPS. He hit 366 average from leadoff this season, 481 on base, 740 slugging. Um, he was obviously a, a total monster leadoff. Um, hitting second this year, which is his main spot, 112 games started batting second in the order. He still was obviously an MVP cal- caliber guy. He had a 1087 OPS. And then hitting third, he did that only in seven games. In those games, he hit a 1067 OPS. So he's a good hitter no matter where you put him. Yep. We all agree on that much. I think that leadoff is a totally fine spot. I was going to ask you, you already kind of answered it. I don't know who the best option is for them to bat leadoff. I might lean Rizzo against righty pitchers Mm -hmm. and just say this is a good guy who's going to work counts. He has the threat of power just in case um, we're in a situation like how I described. When lineup turns over those two outs, you want to get instant action. Because Travis, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you see a team kind of bat a slap hitter leadoff that's just not much of a threat. Like Maybe they can get a base hit, but I hate when it's two outs um guy on base when that turns over to lead off and i just really want trout or otani to be up mm-hmm. but we just have like matt duffy hitting lead off yeah that always kind of bugged me as an angels fan i really wish we had a more of a threat hitting lead off i Someone- will i will point out to me shohei trout are um in my in my view they of course are the kind of guys that in i would still be comfortable having them bat lead off just because i feel like base running and hitting is a plus work right there where um, I don't know if Judge is the best guy. Um, I, I just feel like those kind of guys are the leadoff types that you will see in the game. Whereas Judge, if you have your eight, nine hitters going 0 for 8 that night, then you basically are having Judge come up with the bases empty every single time. And if you have Judge hit four solo home runs in a game and you guys, you know, the opposing team can score four runs by doing, you know, doubles, moving guys over. You're looking at a 4-4 game and you're wondering, man, Judge has gone off, but he's really not hurting us tonight. That, that's that's my main point. Sure, sure. And 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 yeah, I you, you said the word like leadoff type and I totally get what you mean there. Um, and I think that's kind of shifted over time, right? Like I think back in older times, like I mentioned, uh, Travis, you and I are, are kind of students of the game. We love looking at like old series, like old world series from like past decades. There's tons of times where I'll look at some like old Yankees team or like some old, you know, whatever it is, old, uh, maybe it was like an old Reds team, uh, decades past. And you'll see like, oh, this team for some reason 
it was common back then to bat your best hitters like three, four, five, where mm-hmm. your best hitters and maybe even six. Your best power hitters. I, yeah. I think, but I think like by OPS plus, like I, yeah. I guess that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, your your yeah. best OPS plus plus guys would be three, four, five, maybe even six. And I think your one and two hitters would be these contact types. But with kind of bad OPS plus, and it's kind of funny that these teams are winning World Series back then because no one else kind of adopted like, oh, maybe we should bat. You know. I, I'll put it this way. I think Ruth and Gehrig, if they were on a team today, they'd be second and third hitters probably, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whereas they're obviously third and fourth hitters back in their time. I just think that there's been kind of a shift in the way people build lineups these days. Um, And and Travis, I guess one last point I want to make is there are certain types of players we're just kind of used to them batting leadoff, right? Like your point about base base running, I totally hear it. and that's to me why Jose Altuve's batting leadoff and Jordan's not. Right. And my example was going to be Ronald Acuna. Like okay. when Ronald Acuna in 2021 first half, he was possibly the best power hitter in the National League mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. yet still hit leadoff. And I guess you would say you love the stealing, the base running. So that's why you're okay I like, with I like it. him in the two hole. Yeah. Do you really? <laughs> I like him in the two hole. To me, I will say the two hole, in my opinion, now has become one of the better uh, hitters in the lineup, in my opinion, just because you've seen Trout move to that two hole. I think I've seen your Don hit in the two hole. Um, I've seen Harper so many times bat in the two hole. Uh, it, it, you know, even Tatis has gone to the two hole at, at least sometimes. So I think Tatis has actually been the leadoff guy a couple times as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, and again, I think for me, it still comes down to the base running. They are still elite base runners where they can get on base. Next thing you know, they could be standing at third base because they stole a couple backs. But um, continue with what you're going with. Yeah, I just think that there's some guys, like I mentioned, 2021, first half Acuna, possibly the best hitter in the the National League in that first half of the season before he got hurt. And he was, you know, kind of showing us that, like, I can bat leadoff and have this insane power. I'm a threat to start the game. When the game begins, the pitcher's already worried about me, right? Um, And when the lineup turns over, if the inning... If we're in the middle of an inning, I'm ready to ready to do damage, and I really think the Braves, like last year, first half, um, Acuna one, Freeman two, uh, is just a crazy deadly duo, and then mm-hmm. maybe Rally three or whatever it might have been. But um, I like stacking the deck high at the beginning. I am completely okay if there's a if there's a guy who's just a good idea for leadoff. I'm completely okay with having him hit leadoff and then your best hitter behind him second. I like that too. Like I said, Rizzo could be an option for the Yankees, but I just don't think they don't think I don't think they have an amazing, amazing candidate to hit leadoff in my mind. Um, and they want to get Judge the most opportunities of anyone on the team to do damage. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way I view it. At least I'm trying to think of if not Rizzo, who else I would like hitting leadoff. Um, I think the best thing I think is is Cabrera. And, and, and just because he's a lefty and you have a lefty righty and then you can kind of get this lefty righty matchup going throughout your lineup with Rizzo third, Stanton fourth, and then it goes from there, Glaber yeah, and, yeah. and others. But then again, um, take IKF out. Yeah, I mean, we 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 we, <laughs> we we had we had a very long talk about Judge Leadoff. We had a very short talk about uh, IKF getting benched today. We kind of agreed that was the right decision to make. Should have happened a while ago. But um, yeah, I think that. Uh, you know, Cabrera is not a bad choice, but I still think that um, when the lineup turns over, if I say this is a man on first two outs, uh, the reliever is like, oh, yeah, it's like this is your last batter. Go get him out. And it's the leadoff mm-hmm. hitter. Um, I would rather have Judge um, be the first guy when the lineup turns over and it's like, OK, like time, like we're back to our good hitters. 
Um, there's something to be said for someone that can be a setup guy, like, oh, let's set up for judge, get men on for judge. I still think that there's many times where even though you're the leadoff hitter, besides the first time through, there are guys batting before you. They're just at the bottom of the order, right? So I still think Judge will have plenty of opportunities with men on base despite batting leadoff. Um, but yeah, Travis, I think that the best hitters in your team should be in the top four spots. One, yeah. two, three, and four should be your four best hitters. It really bugs me when, like, especially like last season, the Astros had Tucker batting sixth. It's like, I think he's a better hitter than Brantley. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a he, two hitter. Yeah. He was hitting better than Bregman at that point. He's probably comparable to Altuve. Um, but he was batting like sixth behind like Guriel. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, let's get real guys. Yeah. Like yeah. this guy, this guy's on another level and, yeah. and he was batting sixth. So I think that, you know, stacking the deck at the top, you mentioned Altuve, great leadoff hitter. I got no problem with him batting leadoff. I bet him first or second on my team, uh, any day of the week, just depending on, on my options. But, um, but yeah, I think that um, obviously we have kind of different philosophies mm-hmm. on leadoff, and that's okay. But um, you mentioned that Judge kind of had a turning point game three when he batted second. Today, a bit of a down day for him as well, batting second. So I don't know if Glaber batting leadoff is going to be their cure, but I mean, I don't think it's a... I think whatever the front office determines or the coaching staff determines is this guy is ready to be patient, ready to bat leadoff and kind of battle with the pitcher, be a threat in his swings and also his decisions not to swing is, is what I really want in a leadoff yep. hitter. Someone who knows when not to swing and when to do damage um, is what I value from a guy who's um, setting the table for a guy like Judge. So. And, and it's funny hearing, you know, on, you know, pre and post game talk, you have David Ortiz and you have Alex Rodriguez and Frank Thomas, you know, three of just one of the best power hitting groups of all time right then and there. And they're just you know, so confused, so angered that Judge is hitting leadoff. I mean, can you imagine David Ortiz batting leadoff for those Red Sox teams? Or can you imagine Frank Thomas hitting leadoff for those White Sox teams? A-Rod I could get because I think that with A-Rod, there's a lot more that comes from, you know, the overall player. He is a great base runner, has a bunch of other tools that what the big hurt Frank Thomas and Big Poppy had um, in their playing days where it was just power strictly focused but um it was funny kind of hearing their inputs and i knew i I knew of course they were going to be very angered with judge batting leadoff after he hit 62 home runs you'd almost want to think let's get guys on base for this guy and then of course he can hit a couple of the ballpark and make it a three nothing game like that um one thing i will say that very much confuses me with the lineups but alex i'm proven wrong every series is the philadelphia phillies they have kyle schwarber someone who you would have in the middle of your order second through four he is batting leadoff for like the Philadelphia it. Phillies. And it's interesting. It, 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 again, you like it. I dislike it, but it's yeah. working. He has 46 home runs this season, 46 home runs and 200 strikeouts. He led the American League this year in strikeouts, led the National League in home runs 46. For me, Alex, I don't know. I just can figure out. I, I feel like there are so many better lineups for this team. If Schwarber's hitting that many home runs, wouldn't you want to have more guys on base for him? I mean, I feel like having Marsh at the nine hole and then Schwarber, you're basically looking at a guy like Marsh that strikes out a lot. And then Kyle Schwarber really has no one on base. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'd almost want to have Gene Segura batting leadoff. He has a better on base than Schwarber this year. And I'd want to have Schwarber batting somewhere in the three, four, you know, maybe not five slot, but the three, four slot and almost have Harper, even if Harper batted leadoff, Harper has a great on base, but I, 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 this is one part that just is very confusing to me. It's worked well this year at this lineup because the lineup is so deep. Um, and then I look at the lineup as well, the first half and the second half, it just seems like if you can get through all those guys in Castellanos, you have to go to Bohm, Gene Segura, 
Bryson Stott and Brandon Marsh. That, in my opinion, is not even close to an all-star lineup right there. So it's interesting how the Phillies have really constructed this very much top-heavy lineup. And then the second half is just very, very low when it comes to the OPS and OPS Plus terms. Um, Anything slightly to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I the way they stack the deck at the top, you mentioned how you think it might make the the lineup imbalanced. I, I, I see what you're saying. It does create an imbalance. The top is much more productive than the bottom, but I still do like it a lot. I think that it's much more important. Like So if you batted instead Segura first, Schwarber fourth, and then push down four and everyone else down a slot, I think over the course of a season, Segura would end up getting like 200 more or maybe like 100 more at-bats than than Schwarber would just mm. because a lot of games are just it, that's just the way that you know the math works out you can just look at any you know team has their plate plate appearance breakdown uh, by, by by player but I think that Schwarber leadoff the on base like you said I think it is worse than Segura but um, there's something to be said by how much he walks Segura has a 277 average compared to a 336 on base mm-hmm. so the on base is better than than Schwarber perhaps Schwarber I'm looking at a 323 on base but his average is really low and I think there's something there's something kind of a weird thing about uh, throughout history coaches like having a contact hitter leadoff mm-hmm. and I think that's really interesting because I almost prefer the contact guys to be later in the order because I want my leadoff hitter to be able to walk a lot, my best walker hitting leadoff, and then the contact guys can do some first to third action maybe, you know. I think that there's mm-hmm. more likely a chance for, um, you know, all that kind of like, you know, the hit and run stuff if that's what the manager wanted to do. Or, you know, like I said, first to third kind of action. I think that there's more value in having the contact hitters after the guys that walk, uh, perhaps, because a single as a leadoff hitter is the same as a walk, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Segura does not hit for power much at all. So you're not going to see that much leadoff doubles or triples or home runs. You're going to see leadoff singles, which at that point is the same as a walk. And Schwarber walks a ton, does not hit many singles at all, but extra bases, um, he loves them. Uh, his OPS plus this season is 130. I think the most important stat for me when making a lineup should be OPS plus. Um, that's just my opinion. I think that... Um, having productive hitters regardless if it's op regardless if it's on base if it's slugging if you're good at contact or not if you're good at walking or not having just a good ops plus tells me you're productive and i want my one through four being my most productive guys if you put segura first segura is a very solid player very solid hitter um kind of a very specific archetype but if he bats first that means either Let's say let's say he goes first, and then you have Hoskins, Harper, Real Muto. Now Castellanos and Schwarber are like your almost five six guys, or, or you mm-hmm. know you can swap those guys around. But I think having, you know, a guy hitting sixth, that's um, you know whoever bats sixth is almost definitely going to have one less plate appearance than whoever hits leadoff in that game. Um, there's a greater chance of that happening than not. So I think that. Um, there's tons of value and upside to having a slugger hit first. I know that with Schreiber, there's not a ton of speed. I totally get that. Um, but I think at the same time, there is um, that much more upside. And I get that you want to have a guy on base for the home run, mm-hmm. but also I'll just take the home run, right? Like I, I, there's a point where like the solo shot is super valuable as well. and It's valuable, but I think it's also, it's as a pitcher, you're probably looking at, at that as, I would rather give up a solo shot than give up, you know, back to back 
singles, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I look at it as solo shots really don't hurt a team as much because you can easily make those runs back. Whereas like, I want to see a guy like judge come up with guys on base, not him come up with no one on base. Cause a solo shot. Oh, well we're down one, nothing. We can easily get that run back. I, I don't know. That, that's just my thought. Right. Yeah, sure. I, I still think that like the amount of solo shots that happen these days, it, it's like almost a growing, growing phenomenon i think that's kind of backed by the numbers um less guys are probably getting on base and more guys are um swinging for the fences of course Mm so um i think the whole there's a concept of like the guy who sets the table right like the leadoff hitter or the second hitter his job is to get on base or move a runner over and that's all setting up for your three four hitters i think that there's just been a shift informed by the numbers that say our team is expected to score more runs if we have one through four hitters, all that can do damage. Mm-hmm. And um, even if it's not, uh, even if they all aren't crazy pop guys, at least they're guys who we feel like. I'm thinking of a Taylor Ward, for example. I really like Taylor Ward for the Angels hitting leadoff. He's not our best slugger. Mm-hmm. Of course, that'd be Trout or Otani. Yeah. Um, but I think that his ability to work counts, he has a great eye for the he has a great eye for the zone. He has a bit of speed to him, which is a, a plus. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's just something very valuable about having that really good eye and being able to work the count. Um, those, I think, are more important than um, some of the other, you know, contact-focused traits that old-school guys might like in a leadoff hitter. I think the Phillies, I mean, you said it yourself. You admitted it. The Phillies is working for them, yeah. right? And so they should keep it going. Um, I remember even even in a, in a, the Boston's run last year when they traded for Schwarber, he hit leadoff for them a couple times. If not, he was hitting second behind Hernandez. And I think depending on the lefty or righty starter, they would switch between leadoff and, and two-hole. So um, I think that having a guy like, like Schwarber, who mentioned Rizzo earlier, guys who can be slower but still – um, be a threat and really know what they're doing up there in terms of the strike zone, in terms of um, someone the pitcher has to be worried about, I really like it. Especially mm-hmm. when I keep mentioning like stacking the deck up top. If you go Schwarber to Hoskins to Harper to, I would go Real Muto. You could also go Castellanos. I think that like one through four there, it's like you're not getting a break, right? Yeah. And I think that's really valuable in a batting order. Like you said, you might be getting a bit of a break at the bottom, but um, the bottom has been productive so far in this in this Brave series. So yeah. um, that's why they won the series in my mind is because everyone was kind of contributing. But um, yeah, if, yeah. If, if the bottom half of the order went, you know, three for 21, you'd be looking at as probably a different series right now. But one, one thing that's interesting to me to me about this, the team and the way that they're constructed the lineup is that, you know, for for me and you, I think we'd agree Harper is their best hitter. Their best pure hitter. Yes. They have him batting fourth when you almost would want to have him batting second or third or leadoff in in uh, in what you kind of think is how you construct your lineups. He's batting batting fourth. You got guys like Reese Hoskins getting more abs, more plate appearances than Harper when it should be the other way around. But um, yeah, no, I I agree that I might switch things up a bit from how they do it. Um, I think Hoskins is a great. Uh, plate discipline guy so that's what i like about mm-hmm. him he's almost like a righty schwarber i think they're very kind of comparable i like them hitting first mm-hmm. and second maybe i would go harper third after that um there's also an argument to say harper could be behind schwarber but i think the lefty lefty thing makes it a bit mm-hmm. of a problem so there's many ways you can slice the cake but um yeah i think i made my point yep. All right, well, we can get on with basically our previews talking about the national league and american league championship series right now um we'll start first with i guess we'll start with the american league side alex i know we don't know the outcome for the guardians and yankees but no matter what the winner of that will go on to play houston 
um, and uh, most likely be the underdog in that series, I'm assuming, because Houston has just been so uh, just a just a very good oiled machine over the past um, over the season and over the past six seasons in playoff baseball. But um, in that series, do you have any of those teams, the Yankees, their guardians dethroning the Houston Astros for the American League pennant? Or do you have the Astros still continuing to roll into the World Series? Yeah, I don't think either team uh, will beat the Astros. Of course, they could. Mm -hmm. The Mariners made it frisky despite the 3-0 sweep, like we mentioned earlier. I, I do think the Astros are going to continue their their role. No matter the outcome? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think the Guardians, um, I think it's not a good matchup mm -hmm. for them. I think that Houston might have the edge in pitching and in hitting. Um, and I think the Yankees... They, I think the Yankees have been really looking forward for the chance to try to beat the Astros yep. ever since 2017. The Astros beat the Yankees. And of course the, the whole cheating scandal comes out and then 2019 happens. Uh, Altuve walks off the series against Chapman. I think the Yankees really, really want to beat that team in the playoffs when the, the stakes are very high, but I think the Astros have kind of been there every year, six years in a row for a reason. They know exactly what they're doing in that situation. No one's going to be afraid of the moment. Um, but at the same time, Travis, I think the bats weren't exactly mm -hmm. that impressive in the Mariners series outside of Yordan your Alvarez. Of course, Pena had a big knock, but Altuve really struggled at the plate. Um, you know, guys like Bregman, guys like Tucker didn't have that many huge moments. Um, Bregman did hit a, a nice home run in, in, in Houston. But I think that I just don't see either team that's going to be playing game five between the guardians and the yankees i don't see either team really stacking up against what the astros offer and travis i'll say i thought the same thing about the dodgers against the padres i said you know the dodgers simply probably have better pitching and hitting yeah. and defense and whatever else you know they're just such everything you a, want to talk about yeah such a yep. well-oiled machine but um i still think that you know the astros have to be the pick for me um I'll let you have the floor. Who yeah. do you see coming out of that series? I, I think Astros definitely will roll no matter what no matter what team wins tomorrow. Um, Astros just seem to do well in these moments. Um, they don't fall. Um, they should be getting to the World Series this year. One thing I am curious to see about, I think that a Yankees-Astros uh, matchup, Astros I think would do a very good job at taking care of them. I think, of course, they could win in like five or six games. With the Guardians, Alex, I don't, the, the one thing about the Guardians playing the Astros is is it's two completely different styles of baseball. And I, I wonder if the Astros could be a little bit, um, just a little bit off their game from that style of Stephen Kwan hitting singles, you know, Rosario somehow, you know, having a little bloop here and there. Um, Jose Ramirez being their only pure, you know, good OPS power hitter. Um, someone that is, is just basically their full natural hitter because then they got other guys like Oscar Gonzalez, Josh Naylor that are very inconsistent. But I, it'd be interesting to see if the Guardians can kind of get the Astros off their uh, off their comfort level and uh, can can make it kind of a chippy series. We'll, we'll have to see what happens, of course, with tomorrow. But again, I keep on writing the Guardians um, with, with this postseason until they're defeated. I just think that they can bring that uncomfortability to these big home run hitting teams and these teams that are solely focused on hitting it out of the ballpark and with their style of ball uh it kind of it kind of changes things up a bit but i think the astros will of course secure the american league pennant when it's all said and done um they will be in my hand um you know in my uh, predictions they will be in the world series representing the american league side and we'll of course get to talk about that sometime in the next 
week or 10 days or so, depending on how long these series go. But Astros, for me, will secure the job for the American League. Moving on to the National League, Alex, we have we basically have the underdog series going at it right here. The five and the six seeds never been done before because it is a first time a six seed has made the playoffs. But we have a five and a six seed making the National League Championship Series, battling it out for the World Series. I'm just assuming that you, of course, are going to keep on riding that red wave. Philadelphia Phillies for you, I'm assuming, are going to go on to play the Houston Astros in the World Series. Is that what you're going with right now? Yeah, I have to pick them. Yeah. I have to I have to ride with the team that <laughs> I predicted before the playoffs. Yep. I said Phillies World Series. It's a bold pick. Um, I can't back down now. I do think it's a series that can totally go either way, more so than most. Like I say that about every series, but this series in particular, it's two teams that feel very comparable. They have the same role in their division in my mind where they just were kind of like this um, 80-something win team that just was playing with some moxie at the right time. They've come hot at the right time. Um, they just beat their division rival, the team that's kind of bullied them all year. And it's really worked out well for both. I think that that's going to be a great pitching matchup. It's going to be a battle of hot bats. Like I don't think the Padres have an amazing lineup. There's definitely some... You know, they kind of rely on a guy like Profar, a guy like Kim to kind of yeah. get hot at the right time. And Cronenworth, too. Yeah. Cronenworth has stepped up in a big way. Um, you know, Myers had a big hit in Dodger Stadium. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's just a lot of things that maybe um, just kind of happen to be going right at the right time. And whatever team kind of falls cold mm -hmm. um, is going to be the team that loses, I think. And both teams have good pitching that I think will hold up. Um, bullpens that maybe aren't like incredibly rock solid but have been rock solid so far in october that's what matters what's happening in october of course um for this conversation so i can see it going mm -hmm. either way i think both teams are being managed by managers who have the total backing of the players it should be a lot of fun both teams have a great have a great vibe about them mm -hmm. and uh it feels like can really go either way but uh travis i'm excited to see who you are going to pick to come out of this series who do you got it'll be of course a very fun environment to see both of these teams who have not hosted a league championship series in you know such a long time i think the phillies it was 2010 against the giants and then san diego it's been since 1998 90s I mean, yeah I mean, it's been it's been such a long time alex just to be different i will go with the padres even though the phillies have really gained my respect from what they did to the Braves. Um, really impressed with what they've been able to do, especially with that two-headed duo, Nola and Wheeler. What's interesting, too, is we're actually going to see both guys. Um, right now, it's been posted. Darvish is starting game one on Tuesday. So I'm assuming Wheeler will go game one just because his last start was game two and Nola went game three. But it's going to be fun to see that we're going to get basically both aces starting at the right time. We didn't get that in the Phillies and the Braves series. Ranger Suarez started game one when really Wheeler or Nola should have started game one. Um, so we're going to get both aces going game one most likely. And then, of course, it'll continue as the series goes on. We probably will see Wheeler and Nola pitch two times in this series. Um, same thing with Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, depending on how they want to go with that route. But um, I'll go Padres. Um, again, like you mentioned, they've just had a lot of a lot of people in their lineup, a lot of players that have been guys that you don't really think of as, you know, especially in the regular season, guys that have not been big producers, Trent Grisham, uh, Jerickson Profar, uh, and then, of course, big Crone Zone uh, having some very clutch hits 
And what's interesting too is that Soto's played his whole career against the Amer the National League East. He'll get to play the National League East right here in the in the League Championship Series. So we'll see how he does against guys like Nola and Wheeler, who he has faced so many times before. Um, but yeah, I will go Padres just, of course, to be different. I think it's going to be a great series. It's going to be a very well battled series between both ball clubs. Um, and I guess for the Padres, I'll just kind of make my claim here because we're going to start getting into some um, MVP picks for the series and all that stuff. For the, I will go back to the American League um, series, but for this NLCS, Alex, I'm going to say the MVP for the San Diego Padres will be, and you're going to like it, Manny Machado. Yeah, so Manny Machado will be the National League NLCS, um, sorry, National League Championship Series MVP for this series, Manny Machado. Uh, for Phillies, of course, who would you have as a prediction to look out for? Hmm, kind of putting me on the spot here. Well, but I, little Brandon Marsh, possibly? I, I, I'm trying to think about who I might go, and it really comes down to who's going to be the big bat, who's going to come out and just kind of... Um, have the breakout offensive performance unless it's going to be a pitcher. I think I'll go ahead and just... There are no um, wrong answers. <laughs> well, actually, there could be a lot of wrong answers if someone else gets it that's not the guy I pick. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw out... Hmm, I'll go Schwarber. Okay. I'll, I'll go Schwarber. I'm just going to... He'll see, he'll see the most plate appearances. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was between Schwarber and um, Hoskins. I feel mm -hmm. like just one of the sluggers will have like a three home runs in the series and just probably like win the title um kind of like that win the, the the award i should say um i was trying to think about like padres pitchers mm -hmm. um you know musgrove and darvish are righties and you know schwarber that's kind of his mo and then you know snell is the lefty that maybe hoskins has the advantage so i mean it could go a handful of ways of course but um i'll, I'll go schwarber as my pick uh he is always a huge threat at the plate yeah. never someone that, we right. saw him last year in the american league championship series he was the he whole playoffs, he was yeah. he was crazy, yeah. So um, I think he's going to be my choice. Um, moving over to the American League side, we both picked the Astros. So even though we don't know the opponent, we're going to have to pick an Astros player to say who we think will be uh, ALCS MVP. I'll go ahead and say... I don't want to say you're a Don just because... I was going to say we might be thinking the same person, but yeah. It, it, it's just too... It, it's almost too... Uh, too... It's just easy, too easy, too yeah. obvious, yeah. Travis, yeah. too obvious. I'll go ahead and say a spoiler surprise pick. I will say. I want I was going to say Lance McCullers Jr., but <laughs> he might he might not get two starts is the problem. Yeah, if he gets, I, I'm assuming they're going to have JV go in game one, which he's not the hot hand right now. But, you know, but McCullers just pitched. Yeah, so yeah. like you can't just McCullers will probably get two, one start. Yeah. And so. If it doesn't go very long, yeah. I, I like McClure's as their like best pitcher. If I had to pick one pitcher for one game, but the problem is, he might get one. So like we like we keep saying, so I don't feel like I am comfortable with any of those pitchers. <laughs> I keep am, it on the offense. Yeah. I'm going to go with your boy playing the shortstop, right? Or your boy playing the third base spot. Travis, I don't know. I'm going to go with Kyle Tucker. Okay. I think that... Good pick, good pick. I yeah, think yeah. that it's just kind of a middle-of-the-road pick. It's not the super hot guy yeah, yeah. in Alvarez. It's not the super cold guy in Altuve. I'm worried about Altuve in terms of, like, he can turn around at any point, mm -hmm. but I don't know if it's going to be this series. But, Travis, go ahead and give me your pick for ALCS MVP. Uh, I have no idea who it's going to be. 
Christian Vass. No, I'm <laughs> I was like, you said Christian. I was like, Javier, who are you talking, who are you talking about? Um, no, I will, I will, I'll be the obvious guy. I'll go with your Don Alvarez. Um, okay. I just can't ignore the, the hot hand that he's on right now. And, and for, for hitting it's, it's contagious. If, if you can be hot, then most likely you're going to stay hot for at least a playoff series or the next playoff series. So I think Jordan can slug his way and help that team get to another World Series. But I think the way he's been swinging the bat so far right now, um, there's no stopping him. And, um, you know, you look at a lot of the uh, the opponents, there are a lot of right-handed pitchers, even though the walk-off was against lefty Robbie Ray. Um, Jordan really has no problem if you throw him a lefty or a righty or submarine. I don't even know what you want to throw him. He can... He can hit the ball a long way and out of the ballpark. He'll be my uh, American League Championship Series MVP. Um, and, and kind of thing we didn't really bring up about that one series, Alex. It's, 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 I'll have to bring it up right now, but it's really crazy and sad that, you know, he still has a while to go for his contract, but Robbie Ray signed a big old deal with the Mariners and his only appearance was what it was. It was it just the, the one he's a closer now The I, I mean the, the one relief appearance where he throws two pitches and takes the L or I don't know if he took the L that game, but you know, yeah, I think he took the loss in game one and then he pitched after the Pena home run already was okay. already, okay. already happened. Okay. So it's like, this is just, <laughs> it's you, you yeah. lost, you lost game one and then game two, they used you when almost, it feels like, the damage was already done. Exactly. And and then you see in game two of the wild card against the uh, the Blue Jays, it just was not a good start for him. So that'll be something that, of course, the uh, the, the Mariners will be looking at as, you know, the next season comes uh, comes forward and seeing exactly where his role is going to be in the rotation. He might not be, of course, what they wanted him to be, the number one guy. He might be the number three or four guy. But uh, they will have to look at that and, uh, you know, see how, how all that stuff goes. It's funny how when he was a free agent, Alex, you know, he won that Cy Young last year, uh, was, was in my opinion, still besides Cole, he was the best pitcher in the American league, but I think we can both agree. Was he worth all that money? Probably not. Um, so <laughs> that we'll see how that comes, uh, how that goes forward in his career with the, with the, uh, with the Mariners. But, uh, just a little point I wanted to, uh, to, uh, you know, not give a shout out to him, but just, of course, you know, mention that whole area that, uh, your Don can hit anybody lefty or righty, but, Alex, I mean, that kind of sums up this episode. Uh, it was a good one. We went through the previews, went through uh, the recaps of the last series, had some guest speakers on, some guest callers. Uh, really fun. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the next week shapes up and how uh, this could be a World Series of tremendous surprise because, I mean, can you imagine it could be Guardians and Phillies? And I'm, I'm, I can guarantee if you had that matchup, you – Either you're a liar or you can see the future because I don't think anyone could have seen that matchup. But um, Alex, I mean, we, of course, both love the Angels. We we don't hate the Dodgers. We just despise them in, in different ways. But it, it, it's developed into a jealousy for me. It, it, it yeah. definitely has for me as well, too, just seeing the success that they've been on. But, of course, there are some fans that, you know. I won't name on the on the broadcast here, but you know, of course, just bug the crap out of me, Sammy. You're not one of them. Uh, we have some good talks, but, yeah, uh, Cody, neither. You're you're all good in my book. But it it will be interesting, Alex, if we do see an Astros Padres World Series. That would just, I think, just be the knife going into the Dodger fan and almost the twist of it, because no matter the outcome, you're going to be mad no matter what. It'd be interesting to see if you ask Dodger fans. We'll have to have maybe a call on next week. If that's the series, yes. maybe some Dodger fans can give us their output 
uh, or input on the uh, on the World Series and uh, who are they rooting for. But that, of course, is going to be a fun scenario that could happen. But anything can happen right now. So any last uh, thoughts on the uh, on this episode? No, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for the uh, ALCS, NLCS, uh, you know, big game five tomorrow. Yankees, Guardians, all hands on deck. Excited to see how that goes. But yeah, Travis, that pretty much wraps up this week's episode. Um, next week, we'll have all the championship series recap stuff. We will have the World Series preview. I can't believe the season's almost coming to an end. But Travis, you and I as Angel fans are already just, Thank God. We're already to the point where we're just we're looking forward to the winter meetings. We're looking forward to the off season. New owner, new someone please new, new starting pitching. Yeah, some oh, rich yeah. guy, please buy our team. Someone who wants to spend money. I would love that so much. But that wraps up this episode, Travis. All the listeners, thanks so much for your support. Um, the, uh, Sammy, Cody, who called in, thanks so much for you know being big enough fans to reach out and be willing to do that. It was a lot of fun. And we will talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>